Who is the most hated villain of all time? Is it Darth Vader? Is it Draco Malfoy? Is it Khan from Star Trek 2? Voldemort? Sauron? Is it Newman? Is it Biff from Back to the Future? Is it Skeletor? Or is it Agent Smith? Well, up until a couple of years ago, most people would say that the most hated villain of all time was none of these people. It was Joffrey Baratheon. Everyone hated Joffrey Baratheon. But George Martin has created a villain, another villain, even more hated than Joffrey. And that villain's name is Ramsay. After making my episode on the psychology of Joffrey Baratheon one or two years ago, I got many, many emails asking for another episode on the psychology of Ramsey Snow or Ramsey Bolton. For months, I would get these emails and I didn't want to make an episode about Ramsey because I thought he was just too evil and too one-dimensional to make an interesting episode out of it. It's just like, well, what can you say about his personality and his psychology? He's just like, he's messed up. But more and more people asked, So, uh, and the season six is about to come out. So I thought, well, okay, I'll start looking into it. And when I looked into it, I found that he's actually quite a, a complex character. He, he's, he's, yeah, definitely evil, but there are some things that you can definitely point to in his development that might help us understand why Ramsey is the way that he is. This is the Psychology in Seattle podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Kirk Honda. I am chair of the Couple and Family Therapy Program at Antioch University, Seattle, and I'm also a licensed therapist. Today, it's just me, and I thought I would analyze Ramsey, Ramsey Bolton, Ramsey Snow. I thought I would give the history, and I, at the end, I'll, I'll provide my diagnosis and, and some quotes from the books and the, uh, and the TV show. All right, well, first off, I just want to provide a little bit of an intro. About 10 years ago, I received a, a, the audiobook from a friend of mine. He gave it to me and he said that this, this new book called Game of Thrones is amazing. And I remember I was bored in the car, and this is before podcasting, so it, was, so it was all audiobooks for me when I commuted. And I put in uh, this, this audiobook, and at first I hated it. I thought, how is, how is this amazing? It's, it's so, um, there's so many names, and I don't understand where, where they are. They seem to be on Earth, but not really on Earth. And, and so I just kept listening because I didn't have anything else to listen to. But I, I was pretty sure that I was going to give up on it pretty soon. And then suddenly it just hit me. I, I think it was when Eddard and Robert are talking in the catacombs underneath Winterfell. And again, all these names of people and blah, 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 and references to things long past. And I'm just, I don't know, I was, but somehow the feeling of the story or the vibe that George Martin really captures well just got to me. And I said to myself, I don't care that I don't know all the references. I just love this story. I, I know enough about each of the char the main characters 
to follow the story, and it feels like a real world because there's all these names that they keep throwing around without really explaining. Similar to to Tolkien, right? When you read Tolkien, it's the same thing. You find that the the main characters you can follow, but you just get all these references to to this broader world, and it it makes it feel realer, if that makes any sense. So it suddenly hit me, and I was hooked, and I became a huge fan. Then I consumed all the books, and then I heard that a TV show was being made, and at first I was worried greatly because I've seen what happens when TV producers decide to make TV shows out of my favorite nerd books. There, but before, and, and to some extent, as time goes on, I'm getting tired of the Lord of the Rings movies, especially the Hobbit movies. I mean, I watch them and they're okay, but, but back when I was a kid, when I loved Tolkien in the 70s and 80s, there were movies made from The Hobbit, and The Hobbit one isn't so bad, but the, but the Lord of the Rings like cartoon slash live action is terrible. The Dune TV series was a little silly at times. So I was, I was skeptical, but when it came out, I was very pleasantly surprised that it was actually really well made, and and I really liked it. I, just the production just seemed way beyond what I thought it was going to be. I thought it was going to be like a bunch of B actors running around in cardboard costumes and and bad acting. I just or I, if I, in my head I thought it was going to be like uh, what was that TV show in the nineties with Xena, Xena the Warrior Princess or whatever. I, that's that's just how I imagined it was going to be. But it ended up turning out really well, and then surprisingly, it became hugely popular among non-nerds, because back in the day, um, as, a, as a lifetime nerd, and just to flash my nerd credentials, I have been playing Dungeons & Dragons since the, almost the time of Dungeons & Dragons' inception, when Gary Gygax first put pen to paper. I've been playing Dungeons and Dragons and and still do as a forty five year old professional man. So professional man, that's a funny. I'm a professional man. No, I'm a I'm a professional, and I'm also a man. Uh, so as a nerd, when anything that is super nerdy, like a Song of Ice and Fire, I whenever it becomes popular, I'm always like, why this? Out of all the thousands of nerdy things that nerds are interested in, why this so so suddenly? And I, I think it's just because it's such an amazing show. But at the same time, it is a little perplexing that, that people would be interested in this subject matter because it's so, I don't know, it just isn't the typical thing that people are interested in, like, you know, two and a half men and that kind of stuff. And now, season six is about to come out, depending on when you're going to listen to this. So, I thought I would oblige the listeners by analyzing the psychology of Ramsey Bolton, or Ramsey Snow, depending on where you are in the storyline. Okay. So, just to be clear, Ramsey is a character in the book series titled A Song of Ice and Fire. Some people might be surprised that A Game of Thrones is actually only the first book in the book series called A Song of Ice and Fire. So the TV show really should be called A Song of Ice and Fire, 
But I can see why they went with Game of Thrones because Game of Thrones is a much better title than A Song of Ice and Fire. I mean, A Song of Ice and Fire is really kind of a kind of a silly name when you think about it. And the Game of Thrones was first introduced in the mid-1990s, I think. I think, and it became a, a hit TV series about five years ago. Again, it was penned by the American author, American author George R. R. Martin, or just George Martin. And uh, whenever I hear or listen or see interviews with Martin, I am always thinking he's a, I think he's a gamer. I'm pretty sure that many of his stories emerged out of Dungeons and Dragons games. I'm, I'm, I don't know if I'm, I don't know if that's apocryphal, but he just seems like an older version of nerds that I played D and D with. And it's just so awesome because, you know, to, for him to rise to such, power even though he's it just seems like you know one of our fellow nerds has has risen to popularity okay um ramsey the character was introduced in the second book which was published in 98 a clash of kings he is not a point of view character in the novels if you haven't read the novels the books each chapter is from a different point of view. So it'll say like, you know, Sansa, and then that chapter will be completely from Sansa's point of view or Tyrion. And there's, there's, there's only certain characters that Martin actually tells the story from their point of view. Well, Ramsey is never, it's never told from his point of view. So his actions are always witnessed and interpreted through the eyes of other people, such as Theon Greyjoy. So there are, there are chapters in which the story is told from Theon's point of view. And Ramsey is mostly a background character in the novels. It, the, the novels rarely focus on him. He's usually, he usually comes in and out of other people's story. In the TV show, Ramsey wasn't introduced in the second series, he, or the second uh, season. He was introduced in the third season. And he's portrayed, he's portrayed by a Welsh actor by the name of, I think it's Ewan Rayon. I don't know how to pronounce his name, uh, but uh, Ewan Rayon looks, about, Rayon looks about right. I'm part Welsh, so uh, there's that. <laughs> um, and Rayon, if I'm pronouncing that right, had previously auditioned for the role of Jon Snow which is interesting. He originally was auditioning for Jon Snow's character. He did not get that part, but Kit Harington did get the part of Jon Snow. And Ewan Rayon and Kit Harington are actually quite close friends, even though they've never been seen on screen together. So it's a little interesting to know that Jon Snow and, and Ramsey Snow are actually good friends, even though they're mortal enemies on the screen. Ewan said the, uh, regarding when he, when they asked him recently, they're like, well, so do you think, you know, Ramsey's going to die soon? Uh, and Ewan is like, yes, I would love it if this guy died a horrible death because everyone dies in this show. <laughs> and I'm sure Ramsey is, is no different from anyone. And he said, uh, I've just bought a flat in London, so I hope that that day doesn't come too soon, but that day is definitely coming, no mistake about it. 
And I hope when it does, it's epically nasty and preferably dragon-related. He needs to go out with a bang. God knows I don't want him to become a white walker. So it's just interesting that he has no idea the future of the character, and he hopes that he goes out with a bang and he doesn't want his character to become a white walker. Although, if he did become a white walker, then maybe his contract would be extended, so he would be able to afford that flat in London. Okay. Let me talk a little bit about the public reaction to, to Ramsey. Some say that he's worse than Joffrey, and some say he's not as bad as Joffrey. And uh, I, I, I don't know what to think about that. I personally think Ramsey is worse than Joffrey. I mean, Joffrey was terrible, you know, don't get me wrong. But to me, Joffrey seemed more vulnerable and more insecure and acting out of a childishness. You know, Joffrey, it might be surprising to some, in the books, Joffrey's only like 11 and 12 throughout the entire story that we see him. He becomes king like at 11 and dies at 12 or something. So he's really quite young. And although Joffrey did horrible things and seemed to take some pleasure in it, Ramsay is, he's a serial killer. He's a monster. But it's hard to compare these two guys and say who's worse. But I think if you just did a tally of the amount of suffering that people have endured at the hands of each of these people, I I don't know. Maybe Joffrey made more people suffer because he was in more. Uh, he had he he was in power for a long time. Anyway, I don't know. What do you guys think? Uh, now the other thing is is reading online. There are plenty of people who really love him who don't despise him. They actually seemingly identify with him, and that's interesting. I, I would suspect that it's because people identify with his power. He's, he has a lot of power and people fear him. And, you know, if you feel powerless and and disrespected a lot, I think maybe it, it, it's tempting to want to identify with a character like this. I don't know. Um, maybe you have some inner sadist that you have yet to to realize or you, you need to suppress. I suppose Freud would say that we we love characters like this because they get to do things that we want to do that we can't do because of social norms. Um, there was an online poll that received 145,000 votes, and, and it was asking people to tell them who was their most, uh, who was the worst person on television. And Ramsey uh, won the contest. He beat out Joffrey. He beat out Moriarty, who was in the in the um, uh, what's it called? Oh, Sherlock Holmes show. Hannibal, the TV show about, about Hannibal. Uh, Pete from Mad Men. He beat out him, and he even beat out from Parks and Rec, Jeremy Jam and Tammy. And that's saying something, because Jeremy Jam is terrible, but Tammy is awful from Parks and Rec. And so Ramsey even beat out Tammy. So that's saying something. God, I love that show. All right. 
But perhaps the biggest media reaction regarding Ramsey was in the last, toward the end of the last season. Uh, it was that scene with Sansa on their wedding night when Ramsey and Sansa get married. And you're just thinking, well, maybe Ramsey is going to be a nice guy because there seemed to be some evidence that Ramsey was going to be nice to Sansa because he respected her or looked up to her or something. But, of course, George Martin never lets us down (laughs) in terms of letting us down. And he proceeded to write uh, a scene in which Ramsey actually rapes uh, his his new bride. Uh, in the books, it's actually not even Sansa. He doesn't marry Sansa. He ma- he marries Jane, but uh, but he still rapes Jane that night. I think you pronounce it Jane. Anyway, I remember watching the scene at the end of last season, and this happens in Game of Thrones frequently where I'm thinking to or saying out loud, oh my God, do not let this happen in front of my eyes. Do, don't, don't do this. I, I can see where you're heading and don't do this. Don't do this. And then I'm going, oh my God, you're doing this to my brain. You're, you're making me watch someone that I care about, Sansa, who's been through just horrible things just from the very beginning of the show. You're going to make me watch the the most evil, vile character in the show rape one of the most innocent, nicest characters in the show. You're going to make me watch this, and and this is awful. And uh, God, it was intense. It was highly disturbing. And, of course, in the land of Twitter, the Times, the Twitter Times, there was a media backlash. Many people were outraged about the scene. For instance, Missouri Senator Claire McCaskill described the rape as gratuitous and disgusting. The producers of the show later said that these protests from people resulted in them making changes in the story for future episodes. So they're like, oh, well, we we thought people wouldn't react this badly, so maybe we should scale this back a little bit for for future episodes. The thing is, is season six is actually beyond the books. This is the first season that readers of the books will have no idea what's happening. The books and the... Um, the TV show are end at the exact same point. There, there's, a, there's a number of actually interesting things in the books that they haven't shown yet that have already happened in the timeline of the TV show, and it's unsure if they ever will show it. There's one thing in particular, if you've read the books, where you're like, I wonder if they're ever going to show this major plot, uh, side plot, because it's a pretty major side plot. But it's actually, and if, you're, if you know the side plot, you know that it's it's kind of it's it doesn't really fit well into the TV show. If if they put it in the TV show, it's 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 probably going to annoy the the watchers, the audience, because it involves kind of a, a dubious magic premise. And uh, so I don't know. We'll see what happens there. And it's not really needed it it to move the main plot forward. But um, anyway. So, let's see. Ewan Rayon, if I'm pronouncing that right, the guy who plays Ramsey, said, told the press, he said, I think if, after the rape scene, 
He said, I think if more people put their effort into charities that help women in the world today deal with the terror of rape and less effort in social media about a fantasy show, then maybe things could change. I think that's actually quite a smart thing to say. I don't know if that goes over so well <laughs> with people, but I think you're very right. Yeah, I mean, if, if people, generally speaking, put as much effort into actual advocacy to actually help human beings, uh, rather than just uh, ranting and raving with outrage on the internet, then yeah, the world would be a better place for sure. This That isn't to say that we don't have a right or should not vocalize our opinions about these things, because that's important too. But uh, if you're really upset about rape, for instance, and all you do about it is tweet, then you really should look yourself look at yourself in the mirror and say, what else could I be doing to to, to actually reduce the, the rate of... Uh, harm to other human beings in this world. And I don't know the answer to that, but, you know, maybe there's something you could actually do. Anyway, the actor also said to the press, I think it could have been done in a much more brutal way. They didn't over-sexualize it or make it too gratuitous. They didn't trivialize it, and I thought it moved the characters forward. This, this, I think this, uh, the actor who plays Ramsey is, is a smart fellow. I, I, I would agree with that. Uh, that it wasn't overly sexualized, for one. There, there are plenty of shows that would make it very, especially shows in this genre, you know, HBO, Showtime shows, where they will occasionally sprinkle in pornography, essentially. They could have made this more sensual, shall we say, and they did not do that. They also could have made it uh, more gratuitous. And it, it to me, and I'm just one person, it didn't feel gratuitous or over the top it it affected me and i didn't like the scene but it was powerful and maybe he was the director and the writers and martin were trying to make us feel like theon slash reek maybe they were because you know reek i think was there wasn't he having to witness this maybe he was making us do that plus uh, if you're really going to make us hate hate Ramsey, then this one really uh, really did that. Plus, uh, these sorts of things happen now, and they particularly happened back then. They're, if you're a, a history buff like I sort of am, rape of, of women was routine back then, and it was not pretty. And w uh, wives were were raped too. I mean, it wasn't until recently that rape of women, of of wives by husbands. It wasn't until recently that that was even illegal, which is just insane. I mean, it, 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 that that law is essentially it's it's like saying a husband can kill his wife if he wants to, which I suppose is probably still legal in some countries. Anyway, this is getting dark. Let's let's move <laughs> let's move away from this. The uh, actor also was asked uh, what, how he felt about actually acting in this scene, and he said, I was dreading it, and I, I couldn't sleep at night. So uh, that shows that at least he has a conscience, which is, which is a, a good thing for him and people around him. Okay, so I'm going to tell you kind of a detailed history 
of him in the books and in the TV show. So, so get ready for, for this because I, you know, I read the books, but it's been a while and I don't think I realized how much detail we, we knew about Ramsey. To me, Ramsey was a, was a, until recently in the books, he was a very distant character. And I, I, when I was thinking, when people were asking me to do an episode on him, I was like, I don't think we have enough data to go on. But actually, when I started looking back into the story, there's actually a lot in there sprinkled in that we know about him. It's usually, it's often mentioned by other people, and a lot of it isn't directly observed, so to speak, in the books. But anyway, okay. So Ramsey Bolton, also known as Ramsey Snow, also known as the Bastard of Bolton, also known as the Bastard of Dreadfort, which is the castle that the Bolton, House Bolton, uh, rules. Uh, he's also referred to as the bastard son of Lord, Ru- or no, he is the bastard son of Lord Roos Bolton. And he is currently the, uh, in the storyline, the only son. Roos Bolton, his father, is Lord of the Dreadfort. And the Dreadfort or Dreadfort is an old fortress in the north. If you're familiar with Westeros, you know, the north is uh, south of the wall, but north of all the other uh, parts of the kingdom. And it's a wide expanse, you know, think Scotland, I think is what it's, it's, uh, it's um, modeled after. Okay, so let's look into his childhood. What was his childhood like? Well, before he was born, how, how he was conceived, let me just tell you this story because it's a nasty one. You know, a, a nasty villain is conceived in a very nasty way. So, Roos Bolton, uh, the the you know the Lord of Dreadfort, Dreadfort, Roos Bolton was hunting one time, and he saw a woman, and he decided he wanted to rape her. She was just working. Or something, and he saw her, and he's like, "Oh, I'm I'm gonna rape her." And he he decided that he was gonna practice this banned tradition. There's an old tradition in Westeros where a lord or a king has the right to have sex with new brides. There used to be this old thing where where new brides had to have sex with the lord or the king or the ruler of the that area new brides had to have sex with him uh you know soon after getting married <laughs> and and this is a thing you know this is a thing in history and it's just like my god my god can you imagine that can you imagine every new wife having to have sex with barack obama or something i mean that's that's what it's akin to or you're the mayor of your town i mean jiminy crickets you know so this tradition gets banned because although Westeros is a terrible place to live, it's apparently uh, not as bad as it was before. And Roos Bolton sees this woman and decides, you know what? I'm going to, I'm going to bring back this tradition called the first night. It's called the first night. Uh, I'm going to have sex with this woman because it's my right as Lord of, of this land. Well, it, 
it turns out that, you know, she's married and her husband isn't too keen about this. So he hangs the man from a tree. He, he hang, is, he's a miller. He's a, he's a miller. And I think they, they mill corn and this kind of stuff. But he, he hangs the man from a tree because he accuses him of not informing him as Lord of the land of the new marriage. And he says, you should have told me about this. And the man's probably saying, but I, this is a rule that I thought was long ago banned. I didn't know I was supposed to tell you. And he says, well, too bad. I'm really interested in raping your wife and you're standing in the way. So I'm, I'm going to hang you from the tree, hangs him from this tree. And then he proceeds to rape the woman under the tree that the husband is hanging from. So trigger alert, <laughs> post trigger alert, uh, this, this episode is going to, as I've told already, the rape of Sansa and now the rape of this, of this woman. Um, there are going to be graphic depictions. And uh, I mean, I mean, I don't know if they're graphic, but you know, you know what I'm saying? So if it's difficult to hear this stuff, by all means, do not listen. Okay. Um, so he rapes her while the husband is swinging from the tree above. And then he leaves and he's saying to people, he's saying, you know what? That was not as uh, pleasurable as I thought it was going to be. I was, I'm actually quite disappointed that it didn't feel as good as physically. It wasn't as good as I thought it was going to be. So, so I don't know what to think about that, but a year later, the woman arrives at Dreadfort and talks to Roos and says, "This is your baby, uh, and I'm and I've named him Ramsey, and he's your son." Roos is, I think, married at the time, and he says, "Okay, uh, why don't you come in here?" And then he is about to kill her and the baby, but then he saw that the baby. Baby Ramsey had his eyes, and he decided not to kill them because it was taboo to kill your own children or your own family members at the time. So he decides not to do that. Ramsey's mother told Roos that her husband's brother, her dead husband's brother, stole the mill from her and made her homeless. And so Roos was uh, worried um, that his liege lord, Rickard Stark, Eddard's father, you remember that the, the warden of the north or whatever, Rickard Stark, Eddard's father? Roos at this is, is his, he's a bannerman of, of the Stark family. And so he's worried that Rickard Stark is going to find out that he raped a woman and killed her husband. So he. But at the same time, he doesn't want to kill his bastard son and this woman. So he tries to clean up the situation by going to the dead husband's brother who took the mill and he cuts out his tongue so that he can't tell anyone about what happened to his own brother, you know, the the miller man who was hung from the tree. Cuts out the tongue of the dude and says, you know, give the mill back to this woman. 
And then he gives the woman, uh, Roos gives this, the, you know, Ramsey's mother, the mill and gives her a pig and several chicks, several chicken chicks and a bag of stars every year on the condition that she not tell anyone, even Ramsey, what happened. So again, Roos is worried that he's going to get in trouble with Rickard Stark and pays off the woman essentially and says, don't tell anyone, including this baby, that, you know, what happened. Later, when Ramsey was older, he convinced himself that Roos Bolton fell in love with his mother at first sight, and and Ramsey likes to think of their union as being very, very romantic. So this is like 20 years later when Ramsey knows about the whole situation between his mother and father, his biological parents, and instead of uh, believing the stories of this rape and the killing of of uh, this this man, he makes up the story that it's oh it's very poetic and romantic because that's just how Ramsey is. Okay, so Ramsey was then raised in poverty as a child, as as a bastard, as a as the bastard son of a poor miller's widow. So this woman is a widow and 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 she is poor, very poor. And she's raising this, this, this son. Around this time, Roos fought for Eddard Stark in the civil war against House Targaryen, known as, Robert Barath, known as Robert's Rebellion. And Roos proved his worth as a soldier in the Battle of the Trident. So just if you're familiar with the whole backstory to the Game of Thrones, Roos actually fought for Eddard Stark in you know, the usurpers, Robert, Robert Baratheon's rebellion in which Robert became king. So he was on the good side of that situation. And since Ramsey was raised by a poor widow, he knows nothing about courtly behavior. So that'll come into play later. So he, he, there's a whole culture among the, the gentry people and the, the rich and the landowners and and Ramsey was raised in a different situation and therefore doesn't understand how to conduct himself. And incidentally in the books he comes across as being crass and blunt and he swears a lot and he taunts people. He he's he's not seen in the books as a refined person. He comes across as a lower class person, essentially. Okay, so Ramsey reportedly liked his mother and speaks highly of her. So maybe she was an okay mother for him. Unsure. Okay, so Ramsey grows up as a poor bastard kid uh, with a single mother, and he's twelve years old, and she she decides that the mother. Because Ramsey is so difficult, so so Ramsey is a very difficult child, and the the mother decides to go back to Roose Bolton, even though she is worried that Roose might kill her, like he almost did last time. And the Ramsey's mother tells Roose Bolton says that she needs help in raising Ramsey because of how difficult he is, and Roose doesn't know what to do. So he just, he wants to get rid of her, essentially. 
and he offers the the woman a servant. He says, "Well, how about I give you a servant? Would would that help out?" And the woman says, "Oh yeah, it'd be great. I'd, I'm too poor to afford a servant, so sure, give me give me a servant." Well, Roos gives this woman the worst servant of all time, and his his name is is Heek. I think you pronounce it Heek. But everyone has called him Reek because he reeks. He smells really bad, and he has some sort of birth condition in which he smell his skin smells terrible. There were even rumors that his blood smelled terrible or something. So due to some birth defect, this this boy named Heek smelled terribly and everyone called him Reek. And he bathed three times a day and he wore flowers in his hair trying to mask how bad he smelled, but he still smelled terrible. So Roos was being a dick by giving her this stinky servant to try to get rid of her. You know, she's like, I'm having a I'm having a hard time raising your bastard son. He's he's a very difficult child. Well, how about this smelly servant? Will that get you off my back? So Reek goes and serves this woman and, and Ramsey. We never find I keep referring to Ramsey's mother as this woman because they don't mention her name. Well, Ramsey and Reek become very close friends, so to speak. Or they, they become very close. They do a lot of things together. And Ramsey starts ordering Reek, Reek around. And there are hints that Ramsey was very cruel to Reek. So Ramsey is 12, 13, 14. And he has this new servant to order around. And Ramsey is, is being a total dick. And what I'm imagining is that the mother is like happy that Ramsey is just out of the house and has a companion to boss around and she doesn't have to deal with him anymore. So some of you might be saying, wait a second, I thought Theon was Reek. Well, I'll get to that. Okay, so eventually uh, the mother is fed up. She can't deal with Ramsey. He's such a difficult child that she defies Roos's uh, you know, request or demand to not tell anyone about Ramsey's identity. And the mother tells Ramsey that Roos is his father, that he's a, he's, he's a bastard son of the Lord of this land. Basically, she wants him, she wants Ramsey to get out of the house. She's like, let me tell you something, son. Since you're a total handful and I can't stand you, uh, did you you know what you know who your you know who your real father is? You've always wanted to know. Well, it's it's Lord Roos Bolton. So how about you go to him and let him deal with you? I have to tell you that this story is is so contemporary and modern. There are uh, the bastard stuff is you know, but the I, I've been with many families in this situation where single mothers will. Uh, when a child is in their teens, young teens, they they will get fed up, and you know they love their son and their or their daughter, but they they don't know what else to do, and they'll send them off to the biological parent that is absent, and say, "Look, you deal with it." It's just it's a very common story. <laughs> so anyway, um, and uh, this this worked for the mom because 
uh, Ramsey was like, what? Hello. Uh, let's go to, let's go to Roos and let's see how I can parlay this into something good for me. And so Ramsey goes to Roos and somehow Roos lets him into his home and, and takes him under his wing as this bastard son. And Reek comes with Ramsey. Okay. Now, Roos Bolton at this point has a trueborn son, a non bastard son, Domeric, who was older than Ramsey. So at this point, Ramsey's like, okay, I'm a bastard son, which sucks. And double sucks is there's this older son who's who's not a bastard and will uh, be is the heir to Roos Bolton. So when Roos Bolton dies, Domeric is going to get the kingdom and or this land, and I'm just going to be the the bastard son of Roos, and I'll, I'll always be uh, considered to be uh, not honorable or not important, or you know I won't have power. Well, what did Ramsey do? You could just take a guess. I'm I'm unsure if if this is exactly explicitly described or you know told in the book, but it's at least hinted at, if not just explicitly told, that Ramsey murders Domeric, his his older half brother, with poison. So that makes Ramsey, even though he's a bastard son, makes him potentially a logical choice as the successor for Roose Bolton. Okay, so let's get into another thing that's referred to about uh, this is all this is all prior to the first book. So this is all stuff that they talk about that in the timeline of the story happened prior to a Game of Thrones. Okay, one of Ramsay's hobbies as a teenager is to have young women stripped naked and released into a forest, into the Bolton Forest. He then hunts them with a pack of female feral dogs that are trained to hunt human beings. If the women don't run and make it a fun hunt for him, he punishes the women by raping them and then flaying them alive. So, again, post-trigger alert. If they don't make a good hunt for him, he, he punishes them by raping them and then flaying them alive, meaning he, he ties them to a, essentially to like a cross, like a Christian cross, but it's more like an X. He ties them to an X, and he proceeds to cut off their skin while they are living. It's very painful, from what I understand. Then he eventually kills them, and then he feeds the bodies to his dogs. But if they run and make a good hunt for him, he's he's happy with that. So if he get he takes these women and releases them into the Bolton Forest and say, you better run because I want a good sport. Well, he still rapes them once they're caught because they're always caught, but he doesn't flay them alive. He just kills them quickly, and then he flays their dead bodies. And then he honors these, these good runners by naming new dogs after these women. And he makes trophies out of their skins. And it's indicated later that in all likelihood, Reek, his, his 
childhood companion and slash servant, then proceeds to rape the dead bodies. So if if you weren't disgusted enough with Ramsey and Reek, uh, I'm sure that pushed you over the top. Reek likes to have sex with with dead with dead women's bodies after Ramsey has raped them. <laughs> Jiminy crickets. It's all fictional, Kirk. It didn't really happen. Uh, it's, it's happened in real life, but this is just fictional. It's just fantasy. Okay. So, Reek, uh, just so we know and understand, he was just as cruel as Ramsey. Again, he seemed to practice necrophilia. He, just a little bit more of his background prior to the Game of Thrones begin, he, it's told that he once doused himself in perfumes that he stole from Roos's wife to try to rid himself of his terrible smell. But he was caught and whipped for his crime. A year later, he stole perfume again from Roos's wife, but this time he drank it as a way of trying to make himself infused with good smells, and he almost died. So there's that. He's not a smart fellow. <laughs> He's a smelly, dumb fellow. Um, also, it's told that no one in the Dreadfort could stand to be near him because he sm- smelled so bad, not even the horses. So he slept in a sty with the pigs, which probably didn't help his smell all too well, but um, uh, that's where he slept. He slept with the pigs. Okay, so that's Reek. A little bit more about Ramsey and his childhood. He he had some buddies once he became known as, you know, Roos's bastard son. He had some buddies, and he called them the Bastards Boys. The Bastards Boys. <laughs> it sounds like a rap group from the 80s. We're the Bastard Boys, and we're here to say... We like to flay. Hey, hey, hey. Oh, boy. Um, also, Roos makes the Bastard Boys spy on Ramsey on Roos's behalf. So there's, there's treachery all around in the Roos household. Also, just a little side note, that all of this history, all this childhood, is in contrast to Jon Snow, who is the Bastard of Winterfell, Jon Snow was raised by his biological father, Eddard Stark. So we have two, we have two bastard boys in the north. One is treated with respect, and one is treated not with respect. And we see two very different personalities when they become adults. So the moral of the story is: if you have a bastard son. Do not do what Roos did and instead do what Eddard did. Okay. Now, Ramsay, as I said earlier in the books, was not introduced until A Clash of Kings, which is the second book. Ramsay is a young man at this point. It's unclear how old he is. Some say he is the same age as, as Theon, and Theon, I think, is around 19 or 20. And so... He's probably he, he he's in that range, and in the you know the old medieval world, the Westeros world, that's that's an older man, you understand? Because again, as I said earlier, 
Joffrey Baratheon was 11 or 12 at the time of him being king. Rob Stark was, I think, 14 or 15. So he was King Rob Stark and kicking ass as as a uh, as a king in the north and he was i think the oldest he was 16 or something like that sansa is i think 13 13 14 she's the younger sister of rob stark so so ramsay being 20ish is means he's quite a bit older than a lot of our main characters so it's just a something to take note of He's a fully developed uh, adult male, whereas many of the other characters are, are still children for the most part. Okay. So, in A Clash of Kings, second book, we start off with Roose Bolton is still basically on, on the good side of the, of the line. He's, he's, you know, he's one of Rob Stark's bannermen. And Roose Bolton is at war. I mean, if you remember the TV show, you remember Roose Bolton was actually a good guy in the beginning. And they are they're marching south to fight House Lannister following the execution of Eddard Stark by Joffrey Baratheon. And uh, the, the word for it is that House Bolton is a vassal family of House Stark, if you're into that sort of nerd history talk a vassal family or in the in the George Martin language he's a bannerman so because Roose Bolton is at war and away from Dreadfort Ramsay becomes the castellan of Dreadfort so he basically becomes the the de facto ruler of House Bolton's castle and lands Okay, so his father, Roose Bolton, is, like I said, in southern Westeros, fighting in Rob Stark's army during the War of the Five Kings. You're probably familiar with that time. Let's see if I can identify the five kings you had. You had Joffrey, you had Stannis, you had Rob Stark, you had Renly Baratheon, and the fifth king is Balon Greyjoy. So those are the five kings who are fighting in the War of Five Kings. When, when uh, Ramsay receives the news that the neighboring lands of House Hornwood, they have lost both the Lord and the Lord's heir, Ramsay attacks... House Hornwood, taking Hornwood Keep and forcing the widowed Lady Hornwood to marry him so that Ramsay can have her lands, which is wonderful of him to do. And instead of just being content with, you know, oh, okay, uh, I just did a terrible thing and I'm probably going to be punished for this at some point, because that's the whole thing. Like, this, this shows how impulsive and how stupid Ramsey is. Now in the end, he sort of by dumb luck ends up uh, being okay. And, or you could just say because of how ruthless he is, he's okay. But if things would have gone a certain way, what would have happened was if Rob Stark had not been betrayed 
at the uh, by the phrase, and it looked like Rob Stark was going to win this whole thing. And Rob Stark became king of all Westeros. Then at some point, House Hornwood would have said, so um, while the War of Five Kings was going on, uh, we we lost our lord and, and the heir to, um, to House Hornwood. And suddenly this other Northman, Ram- uh, Ramsey, comes in and, and just takes over. And that doesn't seem very fair, does it? And uh, King Rob probably would have said, yeah, that's, that's a pretty much of a dick move. Uh, let, let me punish Ramsey for you and blah, blah, blah. So, so now I'm not sure if that's exactly what the context was, but, but anyway, so, so Ramsey does that and now he has both House Bolton and now he has House Hornwood and he decides not to lay low, but he decides to rape Lady Hornwood as his new wife, his first wife. And he forces her to sign a document proclaiming him the Lord of Hornwood. He then locks her in a tower without any food. And in typical fashion where you just think, okay, well, that's probably enough to do to somebody. I mean, you know, he takes her land, he rapes her, he locks her in a tower. He he doesn't give her any food. He makes her turn over all her lands and castle to him. Isn't that enough, Ramsey? Isn't that enough? Haven't you done enough, Ramsey? (laughs) Ramsey, he's Ramsey Snow at this point. Well, he then flays the skin off of her fingers. He flays the skin off of her fingers. And she is forced to chew off her fingers to end the pain. Because when you flay skin off, it's apparently very painful because you have all these raw nerves just exposed to the elements. And so she's sitting there in the tower and she's like, well, there's, there's only one way to get rid of this pain. And I I have to, I have to chop my fingers off. Well, I don't have any knife around. Well, I've got, I've got sharp teeth. So here goes. And then as she's starving, she starts to become delirious and desperate. And she actually consumes these fingers. She, she eats and consumes her fingers for sustenance. So that's, that's great. And then to top it off, she dies from starvation. She is mercifully put out of her misery, but uh, not after uh, unnecessarily suffering for a long time. Okay. Ramsey then continues his raping and murdering because now he's in charge. He's in charge of House Bolton lands. He's in charge of House Hornwood lands. And he roams the countryside, raping and murdering, particularly young women, because he can, because he's terrible. Sir Roderick Cassell, the master of arms at Winterfell, because, you know, at this point, Rob Stark and all the army and all the bannermen are down south fighting. Roderick Cassell was left behind at Winterfell, and he's sort of kind of in charge of the law to some extent. So he leaves Winterfell because he hears about Ramsay and all of his terribleness. Sir Roderick leaves Winterfell to find Ramsay to put an end to his crimes. So again, uh, even before Rob Stark wins the war, there are people interested in law, and uh, Sir Roderick is is uh, very capable 
So Roderick, Roderick's party comes across Ramsey shortly after he has raped and killed yet another peasant girl. At, as, as Roderick uh, is arriving to the scene, Reek, the Heek, Reek, Heek slash Reek person, is raping the dead body. As I said, he's, he's into that sort of thing. Shame on you, Reek, but you'll get your comeuppance in about five minutes. So when Ramsey spots Sir Roderick approaching, he's like, holy crap, uh, that's it. My time has come. It's over for me. But he says, wait, I'm a smart, cunning fellow. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to figure out a way out of this. So he, he, realize, he realizes that there is only one way out. And he decides to disguise himself. So he pulls Reek off the dead body. And he says, Reek, uh, we have to switch clothing. So they switch clothing. And on Reek, he puts all of his sigils and whatnot to mark Reek as the leader, you know, as as the Lord. And he tells Reek, he gives him their one horse, and he tells them, because the other horse got lamed because the the woman actually ran far and was was a good was a good runner and one of the horses was lamed. But anyway, so they have only have one horse and, and Ramsey tells Reek to put on these clothes as a Lord and act like a Lord and ride for, for Dreadfort because Reek, because uh, Ramsey knows that Roderick is going to catch Reek because he knows that that's just going to happen. So uh, Reek has learned over the years that you must obey uh, you must obey Ramsey or else. So Reek totally obeys Ramsey and puts on his clothes and acts like the Lord and gets on the one good horse and rides for the Dreadfort. As as Ramsey expected, Sir Roderick's men chase down Reek and they kill him. They think that he's Ramsey. And they say, okay, yay. No more Ramsey. Ramsey's done. No more of this terribleness. We've, we've done a good deed today, but they've only done sort of a 10% good deed because, you know, Reek was no altar boy himself, uh, so they got rid of that. But, but Ramsey's still quite alive because he's, he's pretending he's Reek. Also, uh, as, as t- t- to really drive home the disguise, uh, and this is, again, George, George R. R. Martin and his wonderful... Uh, uh, it's, it's you know it's sort of accurate storytelling, but just it's so terrible. Anyway, the girl in her fear or in her death had had soiled herself. Let's just say, and, or no, before no, they indicated before she died. So in her fear, she soiled herself. So just you know, rem, just put that into the scene here. And while while Reek is running from Sir Roderick and his men, Ramsey takes this dead woman's poo and smears it all over himself to really drive home the disguise that he is Reek and not, in fact, Ramsey. <laughs> I mean, these are the details in these books that... You just don't get in the TV. You know, they always say the books are better than the TV show. Well, 
in this instance, uh, is it is it better? Uh, uh, well, I mean, it is. It's. I mean, not this detail, but they're actually really well written. I like the style. Every every scene. In fact, just as a side note, the character on the TV show that really exemplifies George R. R. Martin's writing style is Tyrion. Whenever Tyrion is on screen, you always know there's going to be some snappy dialogue and it's, it's going to have every, the, every scene has a, has sort of a, an interesting arc to it that holds your attention. Well, that's the way all the books are. Uh, particularly first and second book, you, you're really, uh, the way it's written, it's very compelling. There's always these little quips that happen and funny little things that are said. But there's also terribleness, like uh, Ramsey wiping a dead girl's poo all, all over himself after she was chased down and raped. Uh, and blah blah blah. Anyway, so when when Roderick's men come back after killing Reek, whom they think is is Ramsey, they they come back to Ramsey, who's disguised as Reek, and they take him as a prisoner to Winterfell. I think they debate. They're like, should we kill this Reek character? No, let's bring him back because Roderick wants to keep him alive because. They want to keep him as a as a witness for Ramsay's crimes, hoping that after Roose Bolton hears Reek's tale, Roose would abandon his claim of the Hornwood lands. So you know, because to Roose, he's sitting there thinking, "Oh, I just I, I a, a, a raven has arrived, and wouldn't you know it? My my bastard son has has married." Uh, the widow of a of a local um, house, and I just doubled my lands. That's good. Good for you, Ramsey. Well, Roderick at this point thinks that Roos is a good person, and Roderick is like, "Well, I'm going to keep this reek around because I'm going to I'm going to keep him as a witness for what Ramsey did, and and I'm going to convince Roos. Look, you you've got to give House Hornwood back to someone else because." This whole thing was a terrible travesty and atrocity, and uh, you know the Boltons don't deserve the Hornwood lands at this point. <laughs> and so, so Roderick does not kill Reek. This is a a, tra- a, a tragedy decision, <laughs> tragic decision, because wouldn't it have been nice if Roderick had just said, "Ah, fuck it, let's just kill this Reek," and then all of us wouldn't have to deal with Ramsay. But uh, but alas, that did not happen. Okay. Then Theon Greyjoy takes Winterfell. And uh, this is where Theon enters the the Ramsay story. Okay. I won't tell you the whole Theon Greyjoy story, but, you know, Theon's a a piece of work himself. He's no Joffrey Baratheon or Ramsay Snow, but, uh, you know, he's uh, he's another character that everyone hates. Uh, particularly in the beginning. Now people are have kind of come around because he's been victimized so much, but I'll get to that. So when Theon Greyjoy takes Winterfell, remember that Ramsay, disguised as Reek, is a prisoner in Winterfell. So when Theon Greyjoy and the Ironborn 
find Ramsey in the dungeons, they they figure he's Reek because they don't know what Reek or Ramsey looks like because they don't have Facebook back then. So they go, okay, well, we got this Reek character. And uh, Reek convinces Theon to keep him alive and let um, him serve Theon. Reek is like, let me serve you. So Reek slash Ramsey becomes a servant to Theon. And he quickly becomes one of Theon's most trusted attendants. He helps Theon hunt the escaped Bran and Rickon Stark. Uh, he, he helps cover up the fact that the Stark boys escaped by killing two peasant boys who were of similar age to the Stark boys. And then Theon flayed the corpses to avoid recognition. So I don't know if you remember that part, but Theon wants to you know, capture Bran and Rickon so that they don't come back and exact revenge. And Reek slash Ramsey cat captures two boys that are similar. And then they proceed to, you know, disfigure the bodies. And then they claim that they caught them so that because Theon just wanted to show off and felt humiliated that he didn't actually capture the two boys. Anyway, Theon then approves of Ramsay killing three of Theon's men who knew the truth about the fake boys. So Ramsay's like, let me kill, let me kill three of your men that know, and then, then it'll only be the two of us that know that you never actually caught Bran and Rickon. And Theon's like, oh yeah, go ahead, kill those guys. That sounds like a good idea. Theon then uses the Winterfell Kennel Master as a scapegoat and has him executed for the murders of Theon's men. <laughs> so murder is just, you know, any any problem for Theon and Ramsay can be solved by a good murder. Theon then contemplates killing Reek and Reek slash Ramsay. Uh, and it would have been nice if Theon would have done it, just like it would have been nice if Roderick would have done it. But... Alas, Theon fears that the Reek slash Ramsey character has a hidden written account of everything that happened. And so he doesn't kill him just yet. Uh, Another tragic turn of events there. Then, when the Northerners attack Winterfell to take it back from Theon and the Ironborn, the Reek Ramsey guy sneaks off to the Dreadfort to gather reinforcements for Theon. So Reek slash Ramsey sneaks off uh, to the Dreadfort and says, I'm going to come back with reinforcements. And Theon's like, I'm a little skeptical, but any, you know, I need all the help I can get. So Ramsey gets himself cleaned up and he puts on armor to hide his identity. He has a, a helm. He, you know, he puts on a helm that makes it impossible to see his face. And he, he gets all the, uh, he gathers up an army from around House Bolton and House Hornwood. And Sir Roderick Cassell figures that the Bolton army has arrived to help them take back Winterfell from Theon and the Ironborn. So again, just so you understand here, so uh, Cassell, Roderick, is actually outside the winter, so winter, so okay. In case you're, maybe you're following, but if in case you're not, 
So Winterfell was the Stark family castle. Uh, Rob Stark leaves with all the men and then leaves it in Roderick Cassell's hands. And then Theon Greyjoy suddenly appears with the Ironborn and capitalizes on the fact that all the armies, most of the armies are in the south fighting the War of Five Kings and Theon Greyjoy takes Winterfell. Well, Roderick is outside of the castle at this point and starts gathering other northern uh, men because they all stick together in the north to take back Winterfell. And so when the Bolton army arrives, they think, oh, it's just another group of northmen arrived to help us take Winterfell back. But when Roderick offers Ramsay his hand in friendship, he doesn't even know who this man is. He's like, oh, well, I see the banner of Roose Bolton. I don't know who this who this general is or whatever, but I'm going to go to him, shake his hand. Ramsay slices Rod- Roderick's arm off and then proceeds to surprise all the Northmen who are there and slaughters them. So Ramsay kills Sir Roderick and he routs the Northmen army and uh, lifts the siege that was happening on Winterfell. And Theon's like, yay, uh, who is this army that arrived and helped me so much? Because again, he he thinks Reek was Reek. He doesn't realize it was actually Ramsay. So Ramsay gets cleaned up anyway. So then Ramsay uh, is let into Winterfell because Theon's like, Yay, let these guys in. They they freed us from the attackers. And Ramsay then proceeds to uh, kill all the Ironborn, kills all Theon's men. And he decides to burn Winterfell, <laughs> which is nice. And he takes Theon prisoner. Poor Theon. And Ramsay makes... Uh, then he you know captures a lot of the women of Winterfell. And what does he do? He does what he always does, which is he turns all of those women into hunted prey in which his women or his female feral dogs that are all named after women he's killed before, uh, they hunt these girls and then he proceeds to rape them and flay them. Okay, so that's that's all in the second book. Now, how about the third book? A Storm of Swords, which was published in 2000, 16 years ago. Jiminy Crickets, a long time ago. I don't think I've said Jiminy Crickets as often as I have said today. Okay, in this book, Ramsay keeps Theon at the Dreadfort, where he flays him, right? So this is where the books and the TV show diverge in terms of uh, the details here. Because... In, in the books, they don't describe all the torturing of Theon. They don't depict it. They just show the end result of everything. So, so, just, so I'll get to the TV show in a second. But, but in the books, Ramsay, it's just sort of alluded to that Theon is a prisoner at the Dreadfort. And Ramsay sends a small piece of Theon's skin to Rob Stark. So Rob Stark's still alive at this point. Ramsay sends a small piece of Theon's skin to King Rob Stark as a gift to show that vengeance is being exacted for the murder of Bran and Rickon Stark. So remember that King Rob Stark at this point has heard that Bran and Rickon are dead and that Theon is the one who killed them. 
and uh, Ramsey is trying to gain favor at this point for King Rob by saying, "I've I've caught your your Theon, the person that you that you hate, and look what I'm doing. I'm I'm flaying his skin. <laughs> I'm torturing him. So so uh, aren't we friends?" But then uh, this is presumably because Ramsey doesn't doesn't even know this is in the works. Ramsey's father, Lord Roos Bolton, murders Rob at the Red Wedding. The Red Wedding. The terrible Red Wedding. Uh, then House Bolton is rewarded by, by King, uh, is it Joffrey or Tommen? One of the two. By the Lannister, uh, you know, people. He, House Bolton is rewarded by Roos being named Warden of the North, just as Eddard Stark was. So Roos Bolton is now Warden of the North, and Ramsay then becomes betrothed to a girl posing as Arya Stark. Her name is Jane Poole. So in the TV show, this is Sansa Stark, but in the book, it's sort of a weird storyline, actually, when you think about it. But perhaps more accurate to history, but, you know, like things like this actually happening, but... I actually like that in the TV show they they did something different because to bring Sansa back to Winterfell felt more fitting, I guess. But anyway, so in the books, it might be surprising that uh, they, in order, so Roos is thinking, okay, I just took over as Warden of the North. I just betrayed King Robb Stark. All the Northerners hate me at this point. I am, I'm a terrible person to all of them. And I just, sided with the enemy and I betrayed their king. Well, the king has, the king in the south has named me warden of the north, but that doesn't mean that everyone's going to follow me. Someone could rise up and decide to off me. Well, what's one way I can try to calm things down so that people will accept the fact that I'm in charge? Well, what if my son marries one of the Starks? Well, that will mean that Winterfell will stay in the Stark family, essentially, because when I'm dead, uh, Ramsay will be Lord, uh, will be Warden of the North, and his wife will be a Stark, and so therefore everything's cool. Well, they they can't find any of the Starks because they've either killed them or they're on the run. So at this point, Arya and Sansa are are on the run. Uh, Littlefinger has Sansa and Arya. At this point, is I don't know where she is. Maybe she's with um, the Hound. I'm not sure. But anyway, they find this girl Jane Poole, and, and they 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 just announce that she's Arya Stark instead, and say, "Well, you know, this is Arya, everyone, and she's now going to marry marry Ramsay, and this will legitimize the." the Roos-Stark union, and I can be Warden of the North, blah, blah, blah. Uh, Also, King Tommen, oh, so it was Tommen at the time. So King Tommen Baratheon, so this is after after the the death of uh, Joffrey Baratheon. Um, King Tommen Baratheon makes Ramsay Bolton uh, a Bolton instead of Ramsay Snow. So in order for a bastard to become a lord or an heir to the to the lordship uh, i think a king is the only person who can really uh, announce that so 
he, he makes that so because he wants to reward uh, Bruce Bolton for his, for his treachery uh, in the Red Wedding. So at this point uh, in the third book, Ramsey has finally arrived. He's finally an official heir to the Bolton house. And his father is warden of the North, which is kind of like a mini king. You know, as they say, the North is just as big as all the six kingdoms in the South combined. So it's more desolate, but, you know, it's, it's a big deal. And so now Ramsey is, is basically prince of, a, of an entire country. He went from being a poor bastard boy with a stinky friend to being uh, the heir to the Lord of Winterfell, which is, uh, you know, a big deal for him. Okay, the fourth book, A Feast for Crows, 2005. This takes place at the same time as the third book, if I remember right. So there's not really anything to tell other than it just kind of obliquely refers to a lot of things that happen in the third book. Okay, fifth book. And just, incidentally, I'll get through this and then I'll analyze his personality. I just think his story is just so interesting. I just really want to tell the whole thing. (laughs) Um, The fifth book, A Dance with Dragons, published in 2011. So it's six years in between each book. Um, Ramsey uh, tortures Theon in, in this book. He makes him take on the identity of Reek. So this is the third Reek. First we had the Heek Reek, then we had the Ramsey Reek, and now we have the Theon Reek. He never allows Theon to bathe, and he covers Theon in shit. Ramsey also removes the skin on several of Theon's toes and fingers, leaving him in agony for days before cutting off the fingers and toes. Ramsey removes several of Theon's teeth because he hated Theon's smile. George Martin also implies in the books that Ramsey cut off Theon's penis, but it's not exactly referred to in the TV show. They definitely say that he cut off his penis. There's, it should be indicated here that there's no known reason why Ramsey keeps Theon alive, but only for his own sadistic pleasure. I mean, there are other possible reasons, like maybe maybe Theon or maybe Ramsay missed his old friend, Reek, you know, because Reek, he basically set up Reek to, to, to be killed. So maybe he wants to have his old friend back and sort of created essentially his old friend. Maybe he, he feels guilty for killing the first Reek. Probably not, but maybe. There's also theories. It's like, well, maybe he kept Theon alive so he could bargain with the Ironborn, with Balon Greyjoy. And, but he doesn't seem to really do it. Um, he doesn't see, in the books, he doesn't seem to use Theon as a bargaining chip. So it just seems like Theon is just kept alive for, for Ramsay's shits and giggles. All right, so in in Book 5, Ramsay gathers an army to march south to attack the Ironborn-occupied Moat Kaelin from the rear. So Ramsay makes Reek Theon, Reek slash Theon, go to the Ironborn. This is in the TV show, too. He makes Theon go to the Ironborn in Moat Kaelin. So the Ironborn are Theon's people. He makes Theon go to 
to go to Mokhalan to, to convince the Ironborn to surrender in exchange for their lives. So Theon goes in to the besieged Mokhalan and says, look, if you hand over Mokhalan to, to Ramsay Bolton, I personally promise as one of your kin that you will be able to live. And you're, you're going to die if you stay because you don't have any more food and eventually, you know, uh, Ramsey's going to win. And so let's just make it easy on everybody. We'll let you go. And we'll let you go free. And uh, this convinces the Ironborn. They're like, well, Theon's one of us and he makes a good deal and it's right. We're all doomed. And so, okay. So now at this point, it's unclear if Ramsey was actually going to be able to take Mo Kalen because the Ironborn are fierce warriors. But after Theon slash Reek convinces the Ironborn to give up, Ramsey actually absolutely wins Mo Kalen. And of course, Ramsey being Ramsey, Ramsey just does Ramsey all, all day long and he decides to renege on his promise and he has them all flayed alive. <laughs> Uh, at some point you think you just get bored of flaying people, but he doesn't. He, he, so he flays all the ironborn alive, even though he had promised to let them go free. Now it should be indic it should be uh, mentioned here that Roos doesn't really like Ramsey's behavior. He's getting tired of Ramsey doing his Ramsey thing. And he tells Ramsey that he needs to be more discreet because he's becoming famous for his sadism which isn't good for House Bolton. If you're going to lead, you have to be softer than that. You can't do those things or else people aren't going to follow you. So again, it's not as if Roos is saying, don't do these things because they're wrong. He's only saying, don't do these things because they don't really serve us in the end. Okay, so now Ramsey gets married to the person who is impersonating Arya Stark, Jane Poole. And uh, at this point, only Ramsay, Roos, and Theon slash Reek know that the girl is not Arya Stark. So Ramsay and his father and Theon are the only ones who know that it's not actually Arya Stark. Everyone else thinks that it is Arya Stark. Because remember that uh, Theon and Ramsay have killed most of the people who would even know what Arya Stark looked like. And Ramsay repeatedly abuses and rapes this uh, Jane Poole, who was acting like Arya Stark, repeatedly abuses and rapes her while Theon watches. This is in the book. Now, it should be noted that in all likelihood, Jane Poole was quite young because if she, if she was going to look like Arya Stark, she would have to be of similar age. And I think Arya at this point is like nine or 10. <laughs> and so Jane Poole would have been around that age is my guess. And so just picture that in your mind, another terrible thing. And then Jane and Theon are rescued and freed by Mance Raider. So this is where the books and the TV show starts to go quite, quite, different. So you remember who Mance Raider is, right? Well, Mance Raider uh, goes to Winterfell and, and rescues and frees Jane Poole and, and Theon. I remember Jane is, everyone thinks that she's Arya and Theon is Reek. 
And uh, Mance Raider actually was sent by Jon Snow at the wall at Castle Black because Jon Snow had heard that Arya Stark was, was you know, being married forcibly to Ramsay. And so when Jon Snow hears about that, he's like, Mance, you got to do this solid for me. You got to go back to my old home, Winterfell, and you got to free my sister because we all thought that she was dead because at this point, no one knows, you know, prior to Arya Stark suddenly showing up as Jane Poole, it was unknown if Arya Stark was even alive because they wondered if she got killed when um, uh, the the fall of the Starks happened, you know, early on. Okay. So Jon Snow sends Mance Raider. Mance Raider shows up and frees Arya, but um, doesn't realize it's not Arya, it's Jane Poole, and frees Theon just as a as a, uh, because I think they were, you know, paired up at the time uh, as, f- as fellow, sl- you know, slave whipping boys of, of Ramsey, Jane and, and Theon could relate to each other. Jon Snow later receives a letter from Ramsey claiming that he had captured Mance and killed Stannis Baratheon, who was uh, riding to besiege Winterfell, had left Castle Black to, take Winterfell. So after, so Jon Snow's like, okay, man, you got to go save my sister. And then he receives a letter saying that Ramsay had captured Mance and killed Stannis. So this is the end of the book and the end of season five last year. You'll remember that after, after Jon Snow reads Ramsay's letter, Jon decides to head to Winterfell with the Night's Watch to kill Ramsay. But Jon Snow is stabbed by the Night's Watch uh, before he can leave Castle Black. And um, in, in the book, not the TV show, George Martin does not reveal how much of this letter is true from, from Ramsay. So we don't know if any of this has happened. So again, in, in the books, uh, Jon Snow just receives this letter that Mance has been captured and that Stannis is dead. But we don't actually know if that's happened. We don't actually even know if the letter was written by Ramsay because it didn't have a, 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 a flayed skin on it. <laughs> Whenever Ramsay would send a letter, he would put some flayed skin on it as a calling card that this is indeed from him, and this letter didn't have that. So now in the TV show, they show all this happening, essentially. So maybe it really did happen. But in the books, it, it's a lot less clear and it's the total cliffhanger and even in the books it's basically a cliffhanger all right so that's a history now let's get a description of it because the description of them in the books is actually quite different than the depiction on the tv show there's there's a lot of differences in the way that uh george martin describes people in the way that they're depicted in the show i feel like the show is trying to appeal to modern uh, sensibilities instead of actually trying to provide what would have been typical of that, of the historical time that it's trying to uh, portray. There's a lot of things that happened in the medieval times that would, that would look quite silly to our eyes in 2016. And so uh, I think probably smartly so the producers decided to not necessarily go with all of George R. R. Martin's descriptions, but anyway, so Ramsey Bolton, in the books, is described as being very ugly. 
Now, the character who plays Ramsay is not ugly. In fact, a lot of people are ugly in the Game of Thrones books. And in the TV show, they're very rarely ugly, as ugly as I think they are in the books. Like Brienne of Tarth. In the, in the books, you get a sense that she is just, she is heinously ugly. But in the TV show, she's actually, she's actually played by a very attractive woman. Now, she's tall, and they, you know, make her look very, you know, I don't know, not very ladylike. But she's not ugly the way that ugly people can be. <laughs> I mean, you know, the, 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 the picture I had in my mind of Brienne what in from reading the books was was just terrible you know and same with 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 Ramsey Ramsey is described as as being extremely ugly and has a has pink and blotchy skin so just imagine that and he has long dark dry hair so long dark you know like uh <laughs> um split ends hair <laughs> He's described as being big boned with a and slope shouldered, and he's he's described as having a fleshiness to him, indicating that he will be fat when he's older. <laughs> I like that description, a fleshiness about him, predicting he'll be fat when he's older. His nose is broad, and his mouth is small. His lips are wide and meaty and wormy looking. <laughs> <laughs> you just have to read these books because the way he describes, he's saying his lips are wide and meaty and they look like worms. And he has a wet-lipped smile, a wet-lipped smile. It's so gross. His eyes are small, close-set, and oddly pale like two chips of dirty ice, like two chips of dirty ice, small and close-set. Uh, Ramsey sometimes wears a garnet cut in the shape of a drop of blood in his right ear. So that's kind of creepy. In battle, Ramsey wears dark armor with a red helm and a pale pink cloak. So this is his way of making his armor look like he has the face and shoulders of a skinless and bloody man whose mouth is open in a silent scream. So, again, he he has you know regular color armor, and then the top of his shoulders it's pink, as if he's you know being flayed, and then his head is red, because it's it's perhaps more flayed, and then the front of his helm look looks like he's screaming. <laughs> so just imagine if they had done that in the TV show. I think a lot of people would have been like, uh, what? But that's what they describe. And, and some things really are just better left in books because when you read that, you just think, oh my God, that sounds tar- terrible. But if you actually depicted it on the screen, it would look sort of silly. Ramsey's weapons included the falchion, a dagger, and a flaying knife, of course, and all with hilts of yellow bone. So again, he's, he's supposed to be ugly, pink and blotchy skin, long, dark, dry hair, big boned, he has a broad nose, small mouth, his lips are wide and meaty, and he has a wet lip smile, and his eyes are small, close-set, and oddly pale. So he's, he's not a pleasant-looking guy. Now, the actor is a good-looking young man. So, you know, piece all that together. All right, now let's get into his character. What is his personality like? 
What's he like? Well, he's vicious. He's unpredictable. He's fearless. He's very cunning. He's an effective manipulator. He's very cruel. He's very cruel. Has no remorse. He's described as savage and wild. He takes delight in torturing other people. He is a serial rapist and a serial murderer. He is a rumored cannibal, but unconfirmed. He is particularly good at thinking on his feet. He's, he's very cunning and smart in that way, but he is less smart when it comes to politics. So he's smart on his feet in terms of figuring out how to get by, but the big picture stuff, he's kind of stupid. As I was talking about earlier, when he decided to attack Hornwood and and marry the woman and you know torture her, it was shortly after that that Sir Roderick arrives to uh, kill him. And he would have been killed if he didn't pull off such a great disguise. And so, and then he managed to convince Theon to let him be his servant. You know, so he he's he's good at sort of getting by, but there are so many times when he easily could have been punished and killed for what he was doing. But somehow he just was really lucky. He also really enjoys playing mind games with people. And he also doesn't seemingly get angry. He doesn't seemingly have rage. Instead, he gets very playful with his revenge. One of Ramsay's favorite tricks is to kill his enemies after they have surrendered to him. He loves to do that. He is also quite fond of the old Bolton custom of flaying his enemies alive. So this is a, a, an old ancient house Bolton custom of flaying their enemies alive. And most Boltons, if any, practice that anymore because it's probably barbaric. But, but uh, Ramsey loves it. He's like, wait, our ancestors used to flay people alive? That is, I am all over that. He does many cruel things that don't really help him, as I was saying earlier. He has no reason to rape, to rape the Jane Poole character or the Sansa character on the TV show. He has no reason to rape her. I mean, why, why do that? That's, there's no reason for that. If you're really going to try to rule the North and you're eventually going to be warden of the, of the North, wouldn't it serve you to have... Arya or Sansa on your side, at least. Um, it just doesn't make any sense. Plus, the Jane Poole or Sansa character could have sacrificed themselves to kill him and said, you know, I'm going to kill him and then I'm going to kill myself. So it just seems reckless to himself, even, to do these things. He had no reason to torture Lady Hornwood. He could have, he could have, he could have just killed her one, or he could have just stayed married to her and, and been uh, the lord of both, the heir uh, to the lord of both Hornwood and, and Dreadfort. So it's like, why, why do all this horrible sadistic shit when it doesn't actually even help you? So, um, so that's just another part of his character. The way he fights in battle is described. It's not really depicted in the TV show, but he's described as a fierce fighter in battle. But he's also described as being undisciplined. 
he lacks form or finesse in battle. He is described as wielding his sword like a meat cleaver. I think his dad says he swings that sword like a meat cleaver, which is an interesting uh, visual. Ramsey was never formally taught to fight because, remember, he was raised by a poor woman and not in House Bolton. So uh, he, and he appears to have been taught by the original Reek or Heek, Heek, Heek character. So this, this smelly servant was the one that was training him. And so his, his fighting style is very unconventional and, um, and uh, fierce and, you know, savage. However, on the TV show, Ramsey is depicted as being a deadly hunter and archer. And he easily kills six of his own men within seconds. And so he's quite different in the books and the TV show. I, this is something that kind of bugs me a lot about TV and movies is they often make the, the heroes and the villains into being extremely proficient with weapons and with the whole Kung Fu influence, which I enjoy, I think has gone a little too far. I mean, they make, they make everyone into these acrobatic, ridiculous fighters that just, it just would never happen, you know? And I would like to think that Game of Thrones is, is trying to be at least somewhat accurate to the time, aside from all the magic and the White Walkers and all that stuff. But anyway, in the books, Ramsey is known for his ostentatious taste in clothes, which is definitely not happening in the TV show. In the books, he dresses in velvet. He dresses in silk and satin. And he usually wears the Bolton colors, of pink and red. So just imagine that. He normally, in the books, is dressed in pink and red, velvet, silk, and satin clothing. In the TV show, he's definitely not doing that. Okay, so before I get into diagnosis, let's talk about the development of his personality. How did his personality develop? Well, let's look at, this, let's look at what we know. His, you know. His family, House Bolton, is the flayed, that's, you know, their sigil is the flayed man, and they have this history of, of flaying their enemies alive. Well, it seems, you know, p- presumably prior to him knowing that he was the son of Roose Bolton, presumably he wasn't flaying people back then. So he, he started this practice after he knew that he was a Bolton. Well, it's possible that he's overcompensating to become accepted by his father. You know, imagine this. He, he's rejected as a bastard boy all his life, and then he finally figures out, wait, I'm the bastard of, of the Lord of this land. And then he goes to, to Roos Bolton, and Roos Bolton doesn't, isn't super excited to have this bastard, particularly because at this point he has a son, Demeric, I think his name is. And he, so, so at this point, Ramsey is like, I'm a bastard son. How can I get my dad to like me? Well, what if I really, really took on the House Bolton practices, like flaying people alive? What if I became really good at that? Well, it's possible that this need to be accepted by his father motivated this and might have created his, his brain development circumstances that led to him being such a sadistic person later on because we're not quite sure that he was a sadistic person growing up so he definitely became one 
But you know, so maybe it was maybe it was trying to get his dad's attention, trying to get his dad's approval. It's also possible that he was trying to reject his poor, disgraceful childhood by overly identifying with House Bolton. By really identifying with House Bolton, he could reject his shameful childhood. And one of the ways to do that is to become the ultimate Bolton by flaying people alive. So it's just, you know, that's a, I think it's a, a minor hypothesis for me. But it's one. The Another, uh, I think, pretty solid hypothesis is genetics. Now, again, all these people are fictional characters, so they don't exist. But, you know, let, let's say that they do exist. Well, genetics could be a factor. Uh, Roose Bolton, Ramsey's biological father, might be a psychopath, might be someone uh, biologically who is prone to psychopathy. You know, you don't have to look too far in Roos Bolton's history to see evidence of psychopathy. He killed the the miller. He hung, you know, he, he sees this woman, he wants to have sex with her. And instead of just being like, oh, well, you know, can't do that. Or, or even just catcalling her uh, or something. You know, just stick to the normal crappy male behavior. But instead, he kills her husband hangs him from a tree and then proceeds to have sex with the woman underneath the hanging husband's body. I mean, you know, you're a sicko. You're, you're so, so Roose Bolton might be biologically predisposed to psychopathy. And so therefore he passed on that predisposition to Ramsey, which is, you know, I think definitely a possibility. Also, Ramsey's mother, was very likely suffering from a number of psychological issues during her pregnancy. Because remember, she's just working one day, and then this the Lord of the Land comes by, kills her husband, and then rapes her. And then you know a month later, she's like, "Holy crap, I'm pregnant! My my husband's dead. My uh, my mill has been taken over by my dead husband's brother. I'm now homeless. I have no money." and I'm pregnant, and uh, I'm grieving the loss of, of my, my loved husband. So when we go through that kind of psychological experience, it affects our biology and therefore can affect one's pregnancy. And it's possible that Ramsey Bolton, while in utero, was experiencing... Uh, issues as a result of the mother's psychological suffering that created the conditions for him to become the person that he became. So I I think that's a pretty solid hypothesis right there. Um, Another one of the minor hypotheses is that given that he was a bastard as a child and known to be a bastard, he might have been bullied by other people and therefore wants to get back at everybody by bullying them. Okay, so we have uh, those issues. Another hypothesis is, and this is, again, pretty solid, I think, is his upbringing and his attachment upbringing. His his mother might not have ever really accepted him as his as her real son. She was raped by this terrible man who killed her husband, and 
now she is giving birth to her, to this man's son. Well, it's it's very easy to have somewhat of a complex about that boy. He looks like the evil person. It, you know, it, it it might threaten the ability to develop the necessary attachment that one needs to develop well. So it's possible that that happened. We don't have any indication of that, but it's possible. She was trying to get rid of him frequently and finally tried to get rid of him when he was about 12 by telling him that he was Roos's son, even though that might have led to her own death. Uh, You know, there are several moments where she could have been killed and she probably knew it, particularly when she told uh, Ramsey that Ramsey was Roos's son. You know, if if Ramsey went to the, the Dreadfort and said, my mom told me that I'm your son. Roos, given his track record, could have easily just killed the boy at that point and then rode out and or sent, you know, some men out to kill her, to shut her up. Because again, if Eddard Stark or whoever was in, in control at the time were to find out about this rape, they could charge Roos with a crime. And uh, so even though Ramsey's mother knew about this threat, she still told Ramsey about the truth because she wanted to get rid of him. So there's there's a potential here that she wanted to get rid of him for many years, and this is going to affect you. Even if you've got some difficulties, even though you act, you know, like a difficult kid, if if you know that your mom is trying to get rid of you, that doesn't that doesn't bode well for your personality. Also He's had no father attachment, presumably. There's no talk of a stepfather or anything. And so when you don't have a father attachment, research shows that you are at higher risk for problems in your personality and problems in your adult behavior. Also, when the mother was raising Ramsey, it's likely that she was suffering from PTSD or other trauma-related issues, grief and loss, She was probably depressed, so she was probably not altogether present as a parent. She's also a single mom, and she's struggling with poverty at this point. And when you have only one parent, and that only parent is suffering psychologically, you will often have attachment injuries as a a product of that because you don't feel secure in your attachment to the one person that you're supposed to feel secure with. So then later, when Roos finally does take him in, Ramsey knows that he's, you know, he's not good enough. He's a bastard boy, and that would also affect the way your personality formed as a teenager, knowing that you're, second, you're a second-rate human being. That must have hurt him, and so that's, that's going to affect his personality as well. Okay, so another factor that might have played a role in the development of Ramsey Bolton's personality might have been the effect of reek slash heat, the the first or heek the first the first reek. <laughs> he his personality might have played an important role in the development of Ramsey's later development in the teen years, because reek smelled so bad since he was born, Reek was rejected as a child in all likelihood throughout throughout his life. And Reek probably gained acceptance 
from other people by being a loyal servant. He might have learned that the only way he is going to get any kind of positive social accolades or uh, attention is to be a loyal servant and to not assert his own needs or not to be a pest to anybody. So he probably internalized uh, important internal representation the first week. He probably internalized a, a common interaction between him and others, maybe particularly his parents, in which in order to gain love, he had to be a, a subhuman. He had to be something that was uh, contemptible and, and also someone that was very uh, you know, loyal and, and subservient. And as he internalized this experience, as we all do, he might have recreated it in his important relationships in his life later on in life. We don't know how old the original Reek was, but, uh, but at the very least, we know that he was at least a teenager at the time, if, if not uh, quite a bit older. And as he comes into contact and has a significant relationship with Ramsey, he might have socialized Ramsey to agree with a projective identification. When we have, when we have internal strife psychologically between different internalized elements, we will externalize them sometimes through projective identification, through enactments, as a way of trying to alleviate the inner pain. Now, of course, it doesn't usually work if it is done in the typical dysfunctional way to actually alleviate any sort of conflict and pain or psychic pain. But, but it does uh, have a fantasy of relief in it. So he might have socialized Ramsey to abuse him and reject him, to treat him as a subhuman. He might have socialized, Ramsey or Reek might have socialized Ramsey to treat him this way as a way of trying to secure his relationship with Ramsey because he really wanted Ramsey to accept him. But he was also recreating a painful part of his past with Ramsey. And this was probably difficult for Reek. And in this interaction, it, it creates an internalization for Ramsey in which he internalizes a relationship in which he is dominant, in which Ramsey is abusing someone. And this is his version of love and attention as well. Ramsey as any other human needs, needs love, needs connection, needs attachment. And here he is with perhaps one of his very first important attachments outside of his mother, and it involves a tremendous amount of abuse, rejection, and uh, dominance. So he internalized this, and then Ramsey then uh, is left to struggle with this internalization and then proceeds to, through projective identification, defend against this inner turmoil by recreating it in many other relationships later in life in which Ramsey continues to abuse people and reject them and make them uh, feel inferior. This is Ramsey's way of eking out some level of attachment and closeness with other human beings. 
and of course it's dysfunctional, highly dysfunctional, but it is a it is an hypothesis as to what led to the development of Ramsey's personality. So those are all the main factors psychologically that I can think of off the top of my head regarding the development of Ramsey's personality. We have his perhaps overcompensation to become accepted by his father or by his, you know, House Bolton with the flayed man. We have his potential genetic factors. We have potential bullying as a child, being a bastard child. And in particular, we have his, his upbringing with his mother and his, his early attachments and, and also his mother being affected from the trauma and loss regarding the circumstances around Ramsey's con- conception. And we also have his early relationship and attachment with Reek and how Ramsey might have internalized that. So now in the, uh, the next part of the analysis I want to move to is why are why do we watch why do we as the as the audience read these books and watch the TV show and why do we like watching Ramsey on the screen why is it so engaging because there are other villains that are horrible that are in TVs and books and TVs that are in TV shows and books and movies and stuff that don't actually engage us as much as Ramsey does. There are many villains that go unnoticed. So what is it about Ramsey? What is it about Game of Thrones in general, A Song of Ice and Fire in general, that makes it compelling? Well, of course, it's nev- I'll, no one will ever be, be able to answer that question. But... Uh, so I'll just end it there. No, just joking. Um, I, I have a few ideas, uh, speculations to uh, along you know to answer this question, and specifically around Ramsey and maybe even Joffrey as well. We keep watching because we want satisfaction and we want revenge against Ramsey and Joffrey. We eventually had satisfaction when Joffrey died. But I don't know about you, but when Joffrey died, spoiler alert, it wasn't as satisfying as I was hoping it would be. It happened rather quickly. He died in a very painful, you know, agonizing manner. It didn't look pretty, but it only lasted for 30 seconds or something. You you would want Joffrey to suffer for years, Perhaps what Cersei Lannister is heading into. Uh, but even that, it just doesn't seem... You, you just want someone to really, really suffer for... I don't know. Well, maybe I'm just a terrible person, but but that's that's just me. And I think we keep watching Game of Thrones partially because we can't wait for Ramsay to get his just dessert, as they say. But there's really no evidence that George R. R. Martin is going to give us that. There are very few examples of happy endings in the storyline, and there are more examples of horrible endings to you know, plot lines and people in this, in this story. I mean, let's look at the evidence. Eddard, the, the uh, undeniable hero uh, and star of the first book in the first season of the TV show, he is honorable. He's good. He is, you know, you just you just want to see him kick ass. 
and he's beheaded by Joffrey rather unceremoniously. Cal Drogo, at first, we're a little scared of him, but we eventually learn to really like him, and we see his relationship with Daenerys develop, and he lets he lets her ride him, <laughs> and uh, you know, Cal Drogo turns out to be a, a, a big teddy bear, uh, a very uh, capable warrior <laughs> teddy bear, but but a teddy bear nonetheless. If I'm remembering right, maybe I'm remembering Cal Drogo uh, falsely, but that's my memory anyway. And, you know, he's a super macho dude, and he's powerful, but he's ultimately, uh, he, he's ultimately, he ultimately dies from a minor wound that gets infected. He just gets a nick, and over time, just, you know, is what happened in the old days, an infection set in, and then he died. Uh, so he didn't even die in in a wonderful way. Same with Eddard. He just gets beheaded by uh, by a um, an executioner, even when he didn't really expect to. Cal Drogo dies from an, an infection. King Rob Stark, uh, the the next hero after Eddard, you figure, well, you know, there's surely they won't kill Rob. I mean, they killed Eddard. You know, Rob's Rob's gonna at least live for a while. No. He's executed rather unceremoniously by Roose Bolton in the phrase uh, during um, the Red Wedding, right? And then you have uh, Prince Oberyn Martell, the Viper. He has his head smashed in by the mountain. That was horrible, too. You have Egret, Jon Snow's girlfriend, uh, the, nor- the, um, the wildling, wilding, wildling. She dies. Uh, it was a wonderful death, I have to say, but she dies very, very quickly. King Renly Baratheon uh, dies from when he gets killed by Melisandre's ghost baby. Uh, a lot of people were rooting for Renly Baratheon after after King Robert died, you're thinking, oh, among all the five kings, you know, Renly seems like the one that we want to live. He is gay in the show, and so you figure maybe maybe George R. R. Martin will take it easy on the gay kid, but nope, he gets killed too. Caitlin Stark, the ultimate mother figure on the show, she's killed unceremoniously by the Boltons in the phrase. Although, if you're a reader of the books, I'll just leave it there. Okay. King Stannis Baratheon, who many people were rooting for toward the end. He, you know, was a little, I mean, we weren't necessarily rooting for him in the beginning, but toward the end, you're in season five, you're just like, well, surely this guy will last a little longer. Uh, but uh, he's likely been killed by Ramsay's men in the books and... Uh, defeated by Ramsey's men in the TV show and then seemingly killed by, by Brienne. And then, of course, Jon Snow, the ultimate hero and star of the show from the very beginning. He, he's the guy that everyone identifies with, it, it, seemingly. And he's killed unceremoniously by his own allies, by his, own, by the, his fellow soldiers. He is killed for seemingly uh, crappy reasons. Although, you know, if you're reading the news, it would seem as though Jon Snow is not really dead. Uh, So, you know, maybe we can count on Jon Snow surviving. 
And if you've played the Telltale game, the, which I highly recommend, the Game of Thrones video game made by Telltale, they are a choose-your-own-adventure game. They're not action. It's more like watching an episode of Game of Thrones where you get to participate in some of it. It's really amazing. I highly recommend it. And if you've played that game, you realize that there are several that, that instead of following the Stark family, the video game follows the Forrester family. And this is a George R. R. Martin endorsed uh, product, so it fits completely in the universe. In fact, uh, Dinklage does voicing. The woman who does Cersei, does, she does voice voicing. Um, the uh, Marjorie, she she her, you know, the actress that's Marjorie, she does uh, voiceover for it and plays, you know, their characters. So there's several people, so it's very, it's very much like just. In fact, if you're a Game of Thrones fan, you really just should play this game because it fills out some of the story, and you get to see other scenes essentially that's happening in the world of Game of Thrones. Uh, for instance, during the Red Wedding, you're there. And you have another kind of mission to take care of uh, at that wedding, and and you're not you don't see the actual red wedding or not red wedding, sorry, <laughs> the wedding of which. Um, wait, am I getting my terminology? What was the wedding called in which Joffrey died? That was, no, that's not red wedding. What am I talking about? The purple wedding that was called the purple wedding. That's the wedding that he died in. Anyway, they they like to call. A lot of people die in weddings and they assign colors to them. <laughs> so and why did they call it the purple wedding? Is it because his face turned purple because he was choking to death? Probably. That's probably why it's called his, his face turned purple. So it's called the purple wedding. Anyway, you're a character and you're at the purple wedding and you have something you have to do socially because you're trying to uh, fight for your Forrester family, not the Stark family. And anyway, so in the game... You're, you play several of these Forrester family kids. And just like the Stark family, there's like six or seven of them. And spoiler, spoiler alert, but many of the characters die. Many of the main characters in this family die. It's, it's worse than the Stark family, frankly. And so even the video game where in, normally in video games you win, right? Or at least you have a chance to win. In this Game of Thrones Telltale game, you, you you lose pretty much all the time. Like, I think I I think it was it the second second season. They they call them seasons. They don't call them like different versions. I think I've I just finished the second season not too long ago, and it's just getting worse and worse for the Foresters too. So there's really no evidence that George R. R. Martin is going to give us satisfaction with Ramsay or with Daenerys, or with Jon Snow. There's, there's not a lot of evidence of that. Now, I, I, I keep thinking this must have somewhat of a happy-ish ending at the end. I mean, this can't end on a horrible note. I mean, people are going to riot in the streets if Ramsay doesn't get his just dessert, right? It, but uh, I've thought that before, and Martin has proceeded to just make it worse and worse for us. So I personally, let me, you know, I should analyze Martin, honestly, because why is, what makes it so easy for him 
to kill off our most favorite characters. Presumably, Martin loves these characters too, right? And he just loves putting people through crap. Maybe he's slightly masochistic himself, or even sadistic himself. Anyway, so there's a chance also that I think, which is definitely a factor, is that without, just think about the movie or the TV show or the books without Ramsey Bolton. Without Ramsey Bolton, say Ramsey dies somehow. Well, then who are you going to fight against? Who Who's the main person you're going to fight against? Certain, certainly there are other people that are uh, quote-unquote evil. But the show really needs that, that element of a villain like this. And I want to remind people that this sort of villainy is actually quite accurate to history and the time. When you see things like Star Wars, it's like, oh, you know, it's, it's fun fantasy. But when you watch games or games, when you watch TV shows like Game of Thrones and read books like this, it's, it's loosely based on things that actually happen in history. And that's what makes it so much more interesting to me when you are, as I said before, a mild history amateur buff you just learn how fascinating history is and to see a show like this that somewhat mirrors what happened in our history uh, is is quite uh, satisfying to me okay so let's talk about the diagnosis what is how would i diagnose ramsey well with joffrey it was a little bit more difficult compared to Ramsey. Ramsey's very easy to diagnose, to tell you the truth. With Joffrey, it was a little harder because Joffrey was much younger, remember, and it's harder to, to diagnose children, and Joffrey was 11 or 12, because they're still developing their personalities. They don't necessarily have a clear sense of self. They're easily influenced. And so with Ramsey, it's easier because he's, he's an adult uh, by the time we see him in the story. Also, Joffrey might have just been suffering from a tremendous amount of insecurity, and he might have been just massively misguided. But with Ramsey, he Ramsey is clearly pathological. He, he particularly because no one really wants him to be doing these things. You could have argued that Joffrey felt pressure to assert his dominance or something. But with Ramsey, there are so many times where he's clearly doing dysfunctional antisocial things just because he likes it. And there's a lot of reasons why he shouldn't be doing it. Like the whole story about as he hunts that girl down and Sir Roderick comes upon him. He was just hunting this girl down because he thought it would be fun, and he very likely knew that there was a chance he was going to be brought to justice by somebody. And so this is more, stronger evidence that he was acting on his own volition. It wasn't just some insecurity or he wasn't being influenced. It, this was emerging from within him. Okay, so let's look at the main diagnostic behaviors first. He hunts girls with reek. He, he hunts them down and, and kills them and rapes them and flays them. He kills his half-brother because his half-brother is a competitor. 
Now, there's some debate as to whether that, that is the true thing that happened, but, you know, anyway. He, Ramsey, he marries, imprisons, tortures, and kills Lady Hornwood to get her lands. He tortures and enslaves Theon. He takes pleasure in raping and torturing other people. He takes his time with it. He is a methodical, you know, well thought out um, torturer of other human beings. He he revels in it. He purposely keeps people alive so he can make them suffer for days or years. He will keep someone alive. That is really quite particular because there are people who have the tendency to harm other people, but at some point they will have some tinge of humanity and compassion and will put the person out of their misery. Now, this is not a good thing, but overall, but for for most people, even most psychopaths, they they have some shred of humanity and will not torture at some point in the days of torturing someone they will have second thoughts. Ramsey doesn't have evidence of a second thought at any point. So this is another thing to take notice of. He also, as I said, basically, he doesn't show any remorse. There's never an ounce of remorse. He seemingly doesn't even understand the possibility of remorse. When Roos talks to him and says, hey, why don't you lighten up here because this is a problem, Ramsey seems to, his response, he just, he just indicates that he just doesn't have any remorse. There's just no remorse. Okay, so when we see behaviors like this, we immediately look at cluster B personality disorders. He's definitely one of the cluster B, Right. And there are four in Cluster B. There's histrionic, borderline narcissistic, antisocial. Histrionic, borderline, if you know those diagnoses, you know that he doesn't fit those very well. The two that he really seems to fit in the DSM are narcissistic and antisocial. And let's look at narcissistic first. And my main hypothesis, or my main thesis here, is that he, to some extent, fits narcissistic personality disorder, but he, he doesn't fit the common profile, and he much better fits the antisocial profile. And when I talk to people that don't treat these sorts of disorders and don't have experience, and I'll say, what do you think? Do you think narcissistic, antisocial? They'll, they'll often say, oh, he's both, you know, because I think for many people, they when they hate someone, they just want to patholo- They just want to label them with every bad label. And they think, well, if, if I say he's not narcissistic, I'm basically saying that he's not a problem in life. And so that's just when you're diagnosing an important bias to consider. So by me saying he does not suffer from narcissistic personality disorder, I'm not saying that his behavior is not problematic. And I'm also not saying that he doesn't have narcissistic elements, if not full-blown, full-blown major portions of his personality are narcissistic. But if we are to accurately diagnose him, uh, we have to remain as, as unbiased as we possibly can, and he doesn't fit the profile. So anyway, let's just go through some of the criteria for narcissistic. Well, 
First off, a need for admiration is typical to narcissistic personality. And yeah, sort of. He sort of needs admiration at times. But it doesn't really fit the flavor of the typical narcissistic personality disordered person. Number two, a lack of empathy. Absolutely. Uh, there's really no, no ifs, ands, or buts about that one. He lacks empathy, as many narcissistic people do. Does he exaggerate his achievements? Mm, not really. He's not really a boaster. Uh, he's not shy about his achievements, but when you know a narcissistic person, you know that they have a particular flavor of exaggerating their achievements, and Ramsey doesn't really fit that. Does he expect and or require recognition and admiration all, all of the time? Well, again, sort of. Uh, he kills people for not recognizing how great he is. Someone called him after he was made Ramsey Bolton by King Tommen. He ran into someone who didn't know that yet and uh, had called him Ramsey Snow. And so Ramsey Bolton killed him, killed him or her because of that. So you could say he needs and requires recognition and admiration, but, you know, I think he would just use any excuse to kill someone, and it's not really be necessarily because they don't give him admiration. Is he preoccupied with unlimited power? Eh, not really. Does he like power? Absolutely. But he, he, again, doesn't fit the flavor of a person who's preoccupied with unlimited power. What you will hear from people who suffer from narcissistic personality disorder is this, again, this preoccupation. It's something they think about and talk about a lot and, and all of their efforts, sometimes literally all of their efforts go into acquiring power and whatever that means to them and their culture around them, whether that means moving up the corporate ladder or getting more money or, what, whatever markers are in their cultural pocket, they will be obsessed with. And seemingly everything will spawn from that for them. And Ramsey doesn't have that. If he was truly dedicated to unlimited power, he would actually curb his sadism because his sadism, as Roos would tell him, is getting in the way of ultimate power in the North. So, so, he's, so he doesn't fit this criteria. Does he believe he is special and can only be understood by other special people? No, that he doesn't fit this criteria at all, really. Uh, does he believe he's special? Yeah, probably. Is he, does he have a sense of entitlement? Yeah, you could say that. But again, if you know people with narcissism, you would know that the, people with narcissism have a particular flavor of believing they are special and can only be understand by understood by their special people. They will tend to, if they go to a party, they will tend to discount anyone in the party that doesn't have any outward display of being special themselves. And they will only seek the opinions or they'll only value the opinions of very special people in the room and they'll compete with that person. They'll be envious of that. There, there's just this obsession and preoccupation with the specialness of themselves and the specialness of other people. And if you know a, a narcissistic person, you know what this is like. If you don't know, a if none of these narcissistic traits are really jumping out at you 
as someone you know, then in all likelihood, you're narcissistic. Just joking. <laughs> uh, it's late in the podcast, so uh, excuse me. But um, no, if, if you don't, if you can't think of someone that really fits these criteria, then lucky you, because you haven't come across someone like this. But it, uh, it's really quite particular. And uh, unless you know someone like this, don't assume that you could even imagine how how extreme they can be in this in this area. Uh, a few more narcissistic personality traits: exploitative. They will t- typically be exploitative. Yeah, he's he's somewhat. I mean, well, yes, he's very exploitative, but in not in a narcissistic sense. Is he envious of others? Well, not uh, kind of, right? He wanted the lands of the Hornwood lands and he took that. So, yeah, you could say there's there's some of that. Is he arrogant? Um, you know, sort of, uh, but not in a narcissistic way. Um, now, no, now again, some of you are saying, I can't believe that you are calling this guy not arrogant and not exploitative of other people. He is very exploitative. He is very entitled. He is very arrogant. And what I have to say is, again, yes, he doesn't care about other people's feelings, and I would not call him not arrogant, but if you know someone with narcissistic personality disorder, you know that the degree at which these people are arrogant and the degree at which in which they have a sense of entitlement is so much greater than the personality presentation of Ramsey Bolton, you'll understand that uh, Ramsey doesn't really fit narcissistic personality disorder. So just just be careful about that kind of stuff. And this is partially why in the clinical world that a lot of misdiagnosing takes place is that people have a hard time understanding the degree at which need to, which things need to be met in order for them to meet criteria and particularly around personality disorders. Uh, If you're a trainee or just someone who doesn't know much about personality disorders, you have to understand that, the only people, and I'm not just saying I'm not just saying this because I'm one of these people. Uh, I'm saying this because it's true. <laughs> Is that only people that are experienced at diagnosing personality disorders can diagnose personality disorders? I've said this before in other podcasts, but if you want to diagnose depression or panic attack, uh, or you want to diagnose. Um, I'm not. Uh, I'm not going to put ADHD in there because actually that's probably not true. But adjustment disorders, these kinds of things, they these are particularly depression. I would say these are easy things to identify in yourself and other people. If you just ran down the criteria of major depressive disorder, it's pretty hard to mistake what the diagnosis is getting at. What the diagnosis is getting at. When it comes to ADHD, it gets a little bit more difficult because, again, degree and flavor come into account. When it comes to personality disorders, it is extremely difficult to lock down. Mostly because when you are interacting with someone with a personality disorder, it feels a very particular way. When you interact or when you have someone in your life that is borderline, uh, 
they will feel very particular and they will make you feel a very particular feeling. When you're interacting with someone who's antisocial, same thing. When you're interacting with a psychopath, when you're interacting with someone with narcissistic personality, histrionic, each one of these personality disorders will make you feel a particular way and they and those feelings that you have as a person who observes the self and is and has experience and knows how to interpret human communication transference countertransference as someone who understands that you now have that ability to diagnose and understand the degree at which some criteria need to be met in order to justify the diagnosis I said this before when I was talking about uh, Donald Trump. Some people were saying he's, he has narcissistic personality disorder. And I listened to podcasts and stuff and, or other media discussions, and uh, they'll say Donald Trump has narcissistic personality disorder. Or uh, I had listened to this other podcast where this guy, I think it was, um, uh, what's it called? The Cracked Podcast, Cracked Podcast. And the host, the main host, O'Brien, was talking about how the uh, our culture is now filled with people with narcissistic personality disorder and he he didn't just say that in passing he was saying it over and over again that our culture now suffers from narcissistic personality disorder and i was just i was just rolling my eyes because it's 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 such an ignorant thing to say because narcissistic personality disorder is very particular. Now, if you want to say narcissism is on the rise and you want to define narcissism as a particular thing, then fine. And if you can measure that, then great. But narcissistic personality disorder is very particular. And when when you know someone with this disorder, you will feel very different and you will suddenly see uh, the degree at which narcissistic uh, traits can actually, ha- the degree at which they can go, the, how high they can actually go, the degree. <laughs> you know, it, there are some people that that have, you know, some narcissism. But frankly, I, I have narcissistic personality traits, but I'm not, nar- I don't have narcissistic personality disorder. But I have some narcissistic traits, like, for instance, I have this podcast in which I talk about things and act like I know what I'm talking about all the time. That is, that is a narcissistic behavior. Uh, I would say that 99.9% of po- podcasters have narcissistic traits. Why else would we be so compelled, particularly when we get no money for it or very little money for it, why would it be so compelled to yammer into a microphone and make everyone listen to us? Well, it's because we have a narcissistic need uh, compared to other people. And there are pros and cons to that personality trait. Uh, the pro is that I have a podcast, I suppose. And the, the con is that sometimes when I'm at dinner parties, I talk too much. And people think, boy, that guy talks too much. <laughs> because in the moment, I'm so wrapped up in my own head and so wrapped up in what I want to say and so wrapped up in wanting other people to listen to my scintillating thoughts that I uh, lose sight of the fact that no one else really wants to hear any of that. <laughs> so that's, that's narcissist. That's narcissism. That's being narcissistic compared to the average human being. But I am nowhere near the criteria for narcissistic personality disorder. So 
to have narcissistic traits. And so our cult, so when the cracked podcast, O'Brien's talking about narcissism rising in our culture, fine, you know, you can say that, but to, but to, you know, say narcissist personality disorders on the rises or, or a hundred percent prevalent in our culture now is, uh, uh, just eye rolly to me. So if you're a clinician and you want to understand personality disorders, then then just start start interacting with more clients, particularly difficult clients, because narcissistic personality disordered clients will be difficult in all likelihood. And if you're a family therapist, you might, for instance, so this is just a suggestion: a teenager, a mom brings in a teenager. And the mom says, I want you to treat my son. And you start to assess the situation and you learn that the parents are divorced or they're together and they're in conflict. Well, a common thing for people to do, in my experience, is to take the easy road. And okay, I'll treat the teenage boy. We'll meet for an hour every one or two weeks and I'll work on his self-esteem and he'll complain about his family and I'll think about, boy, he's dealing with some tough stuff in his family and that'll be that. Well, I challenge you to invite both of the parents in because a lot of the times uh, what you will find, not a majority, but uh, some of the time, you will find that one of the parents has a personality disorder and they are not seeking treatment for themselves because they don't think anything's wrong with them. And as you engage with this person, you will get a very particular feeling from this person. And you will start to see, oh, I, I understand how this system works. And I understand how each person and their personality comes together in the system. And you'll have an ability to, to have an effect on that system. Will you be able to cure that person, that parent, of the personality disorder? No. But you can help the system change to be more functional, given that someone has a personality disorder in that system. I'm going way off topic, so I will rein it back in. Okay. So we looked at three of the cluster Bs. We have histrionic, borderline, nar- narcissistic. Now let's look at antisocial, the fourth of the cluster B. This is the most fitting diagnosis for Ramsey Bolton. Remember that it's similar to psychopathic personality disorder, which is not in the DSM. Most people outside of psychology and people in psychology will tend to use the term psychopathy or psychopath instead of antisocial personality disorder. But in the more official language of psychology and therapy, antisocial is the preferred term for most people. And it's uh, also similar to sociopathic personality and dissocial personality disorder. Also, it shouldn't be confused with asocial, antisocial, and the general public. They use that word to mean asocial, meaning that someone is not very social, someone who's introverted or stays home a lot. They'll call that antisocial. But actually, antisocial means against social norms or rules, and uh, meaning that the opposite of social rules. So you have antisocial and prosocial. So to give to a charity or to hug someone who wants to be hugged, these are pro-social behaviors. To flay someone alive, this is an, this is an anti-social behavior. Okay, so antisocial personality disorder is defined in the DSM-5 as mainly a disregard and violation of the rights of others occurring since the age of 15. 
This uh, very much typifies Ramsey Bolton's behavior. Since the age of 15 and before, he has a massive disregard and is a massive violator of the rights of other people. (laughs) That is very fitting to him. And we need at least three of the following criteria met in order to uh, apply the diagnosis, uh, the diagnostic label of antisocial. And he has all of them. So not only does he have at least three of the following, he has all of them. And those are illegal behavior. He definitely acts illegally, right? Now, it's sort of funny in the Westeros world because it's, they have different kinds of uh, laws and but in, you know he doesn't he doesn't follow the social law that you don't kill and rape innocent people that's that's he does that frequently okay is he deceitful does he lie does he disguise himself and does he con other people does he manipulate other people for his own gain all the time he lies frequently he disguises himself uh, sometimes when he tried to get out of the murder, he disguised himself as reek. And does he manipulate and con people? Yes, he is very manipulative and effective in this way, right? He manipulated everyone into keeping him alive and believing he was reek and then getting on Theon's good side. And then, uh, yeah, anyway, so he's, he's very deceitful. Is he impulsive? Yes, he's quite impulsive. He does what he wants, particularly in the Telltale game, video game. He is extremely, seemingly impulsive and horrible. But honestly, he, in comparison to, shall we say, real people with antisocial, is not as impulsive as real people. Antisocial people that I have known are particularly impulsive. They will act seemingly without... Uh, any uh, known guide to their behavior. And they'll get in fights a lot. They'll say nasty things to people. They will make sudden decisions. And basically, because, because they don't have empathy for other people, they don't follow the normal rules in life. So for the rest of us that aren't antisocial, we have a healthy amount of empathy for others, and so that'll guide our behavior. So if we're out at the grocery store and someone gets in our way, we will get upset, and there will be a part of us that might have a, some anger and even rage, but we refrain from doing something harmful to that person because there's a part of us, one, that doesn't want to harm another human being, But there's also another part of us that doesn't want to be humiliated in society. We don't, if we were to push that person down, we worry about what other people around would say about us. So we, we have empathy for the tribe. We worry about what they think about us. Well, antisocial people don't necessarily care. This is the difference between narcissism and antisocialists. Narcissistic people very much care about how society sees them. Um, they're, they're preoccupied with that. But with antisocial, they don't care about that because they don't, they don't think they're special. They just simply lack empathy for other people, and just, they just don't care. And so it's not even on their radar. 
and it doesn't affect them the way it affects us. And so they will act very impulsively as a result. It'll seem impulsive to us, but in reality to them, it's just they're acting uh, on another set of rules that says that, you know, why would you care about what other people think? It, it would be, let's see if I can come up with an analogy. It'd be like when you are walking down a street in the summertime and there are occasional ants underneath your feet and you occasionally step on an ant on accident. Well, if, if the ant community could see that, they would be horrified at what you just did. You just, walking down the sidewalk, you didn't even care to look down at your feet and you stepped on five ants in the process of walking down the street. You have no remorse and you're, you're so impulsive. Like, you should have looked down and you should have walked around these ants. Like, that's so impulsive of you. Well, you don't think of yourself as being impulsive, do you? You just think of yourself as like, I'm just walking on the street and, oh, I, I, didn't, I didn't even see the ants there. And I don't even, I don't even know why anyone, why are, you, why is, why is everyone, why are the, all these ants getting angry at me all of a sudden? Well, it's a bad analogy. <laughs> Sometimes when I say analogies, like, I just wonder, like, what's going to come out of my mouth? And it's just like off the top of my head. But I think it's to some extent getting my point across in that the impulsiveness issue... I think is uh, attributed not to say ADHD, which is uh, an executive function issue that leads to impulsivity. I think it's to people outside of the antisocial world. It seems impulsive because they simply just don't care. They don't have the same edit editing system to their behavior. And so it seems impulsive anyway. Is he aggressive? Boy, oh boy. Yes, he is just terribly aggressive. Does he have disregard for the safety of others? Holy crap. Yes, he does. Is he irresponsible? This one he meets kind of, you know, kind of irresponsible. Again, antisocial people in the real real world tend to be extremely irresponsible in, in general. This is something that antisocial psychopaths in the TV and in, in TV and uh, books don't, don't really, aren't really normal. You know, often the psychopaths in stories are very responsible and very cunning and very smart and very, they always seem to get their way. Well, the vast majority of psychopaths and people who suffer from antisocial personality disorder do not, in the end, actually get what they want. They, because they lack empathy, they actually, to some extent, lack the ability to figure out how to make things good for themselves because they can't necessarily predict how other people are going to act because they don't have empathy. And so they can act very irresponsibly even for themselves. They can drink a lot. They, you know, there's, a, there's a lot of substance abuse in the cluster Bs. And they can act very irresponsible. So you know, losing a job, going to jail every now and then not being very good with money, not taking care of people around you. So Ramsey Bolton doesn't really exhibit this. In some ways, he's actually quite responsible. And so so he doesn't really fit this one. And the last one is lack of remorse and empathy. And he absolutely, absolutely misses uh, or, or meets this criteria. 
in my opinion, the antisocial personality disorder criteria in the DSM, lack of remorse and empathy should really be something that needs to be met. So again, the D- in the DSM, the, the, the main criteria criterion is disregard and violation for the rights of others occurring since the age of 15. Well, it, in, my, in my mind, it, that should be replaced with a consistent lack of remorse and empathy for other people that results in the disregard and violation of rights of others. Because you can, and this happens, make an argument for many people having antisocial that don't actually, in my mind, fit the spirit behind the diagnosis. For instance, I've talked about this before, I think, is someone grows up in uh, in a bad neighborhood, like a very bad neighborhood, you know. There are famous bad neighborhoods in the United States, and just, just think of a, uh, a young black man, a young black kid growing up in these neighborhoods. Well, he's being discriminated against. He has a lot of danger around him. There are people getting shot and killed and mugged and beat up, and there's gangs. And, and so he learns that the only way to survive is to fight back and assert your manliness and assert how you're willing to throw down like the best of them. And so you start to throw down, you start to, to fight and you start to retaliate and someone, you know, uh, attacks someone in your neighborhood and you and some other friends go to the other neighborhood and you strike back because if you don't strike back, the other neighborhood is just going to, they're going to know that you're punks and they're going to know that they can walk all over you. And that means very, very bad things for you and your friends and your families. And so you will, in the process of engaging in that process, that very normal, understandable, natural process, you will disregard and violate the rights of others. You will go to this other neighborhood and you will do a drive-by shooting or you will mug someone's sister or you're, you know, you're going to do bad things. And that's the context in which someone lives. Now, am I excusing it? No, it's a complicated thing. But, but uh, that, that boy could absolutely have a normal personality, one that does not have a disorder, one in which he does absolutely have empathy for other people, one in which he absolutely has a conscience and he absolutely has remorse when things happen, even when he does those things that he participates in, he he has remorse. So according to the DSM, he could fit the criteria because you only need three of the following things. So again, this this black kid, is he doing stuff that's legal? Yes. Is he aggressive? Yes. Does he have disregard for the safety of others? Yes. Is he irresponsible? You could make a case he's being irresponsible. So he already missed the, meets the criteria for antisocial, but he does have remorse and he does have empathy. And to me, that misses the mark completely. Antisocial, the main uh, hub of everything comes from, in my opinion, the lack of remorse and empathy. It's the same for psychopathy. To, to be diagnosed as a psychopath, you can meet all a lot of the other, because the psycho, psychopathy uh, list of criteria is even longer, and you can meet many in a similar way that I just said to antisocial, and yet you can still, a part of your personality, have empathy and remorse for other people. And to me, that's, that just is, is ridiculous, to me, anti and I and I think most people agree, most clinicians agree that 
the the key element of antisocial. Well, I don't know if I can say this actually, but to, but many people I talk to, the the key element of antisocial psychopathy, sociopathy is the lack of remorse, lack of empathy, and everything stems from there, right? But for many people, these are labels they apply, particularly maybe in the criminal justice system. They apply it to an individual who has just a history of doing illegal behavior. And that, to me, misses the spirit meant behind the term personality disorder. You can commit many different behavioral, you know, problematic behaviors, but unless there's an underlying pervasive personality problem, then they don't fit the diagnostic criteria, in my mind, of a personality disorder. Now, I'm, you know, I'm sure if you look more closely at the DSM-5 language, you could find some kind of exception to what I'm saying. But, but anyway, my, my point is, is that uh, when you're looking for the key feature of psychopathy and antisocial, it's this lack of empathy and that all other things stem from that. It is similar to my thesis that with borderline, everything, there, there are many different confusing criteria, criteria for borderline, even more confusing, way more confusing than antisocial, by the way. But it's my thesis that everything stems from, for borderline people, from a, a tremendous fear and complex regarding rejection. And once you understand that, once you understand that they're extremely sensitive to rejection and everything stems from that sensitivity, then it all starts to make sense. The impulsivity, the, the lack of empathy themselves, the, the relationship instability, the latching on to someone and then rejecting them. I mean, it, it all starts to make sense. The suicidal, the suicidality without actual behaviors. It, it all starts to make sense. And the same with antisocial. If you understand that the, the key uh, broken element of the personality is a lack of empathy for other human beings, then you understand that a lot of things stem from that. Okay, so that's antisocial. And then we have sadistic personality disorder. This is not in the DSM anymore. It used to be in the DSM-3, and when the DSM-4 came out in the early 90s, they excluded sadistic personality disorder. I don't understand why they got rid of it, because there is no other diagnostic category that describes sadism in the DSM, except for what is in the paraphilic chapter, in the DSM-5, which is sexual sadism disorder. But this is just a, a small percentage of sadistic personality people. So I call for a return of sadistic personality disorder. So we need to add to Ramsey Bolton sadistic personality disorder. So he's antisocial slash psychopathic slash dissocial personality disorder, and he's, he suffers from sadistic personality disorder. Again, this needs to be added because psychopaths and antisocial personality disorder people are not necessarily sadistic. This is important to understand. When you are a psychopath, this means you don't care about other people's feelings, but it doesn't necessarily mean 
you desire to harm other people. In fact, the vast majority of people with antisocial and with psychopathy do not actually enjoy harming other people. They will harm others in an instrumental way, meaning that if, if, for instance, you and a psychopath are in competition for a promotion, they will have no problem uh, manipulating the situation in their favor and harm you in the process. But they don't get off on harming you. What they do get off on is getting a promotion like anyone else. They desire promotion just like anyone else, and they don't have any qualms with, with harming you in the process. Whereas you will, you might actually compete similarly with this person, but you'll feel bad about it on the inside, and you probably won't compete as well because of that empathy. But sadistic personality disordered people actually wake up in the morning and like the way you crave that cup of coffee in the morning, they crave to harm other people. And this is a personality disorder that should be in the DSM, but it is not. And it should be noted that in movies and TV shows, psychopathy and sadism are often conflated. People often consider psychopathy to be uh, the same as being a sadist. But, but they're not. They're not the same. They, they're related, and they go hand-in-hand hand sometimes, but, but not usually. And sadistic personality disorder people are actually quite rare, understand. There are very, very few people that suffer. From, maybe that's why they got rid of it, is that it's, it's very rare. It's very common in the movies and TV, though. Um, okay. Now, as I said before, in DSM-5, sexual sadism disorder is included, and the criteria are over a period of at least six months, so yes, he's been doing sadism, sadistic behavior the past six months. And it's a recurrent and intense sexual arousal from the suffering of others. So it's unclear if he is getting intense sexual arousal from the suffering of, of others or if he is just having intense pleasure from, from the suffering of others. You'd really have to ask him <laughs> or study him a little bit more because... Uh, you know he did rape uh he does he does love to rape but he might just enjoy sex and also have no problem with raping <laughs> uh so in a, whereas a sexual sadist th- the only way they can even ha- have sex <laughs> or the main way they can even just be aroused is when someone else is genuinely suffering not like normal S&M people who want to play around with S&M. Sexual sadists actually get off on actual harm of other human beings where it's not a game. These are your, your rapists. The, you know, the vast, and this is something I just really want to make sure everyone understands because I I don't think people really get it because there, there's, there's a notion out there that, men, if given the chance, would rape if, if they could. And the fact is, is that is just not the case. That is not the case. For the vast majority of people, including men, they could never rape someone because they have a normal level of empathy and they could never, have, they could never be sexually aroused in the context of them harming another human being. Now, are there situations in which non-sadists rape people? Absolutely. You know, when people are drunk and I've talked about before when 
you deprive young men of any kind of physical affection and warmth and love and they get drunk at a party and they're, they're just like, they just need human connection and they don't know how to get it. And they're just so desperate and they're unhinged and they have a, a group of other boys around them. Can they turn to rape? Yes. Uh, but what you'll find is those boys will wake up the next morning and feel terrible about it. A sexual sadist will wake up in the morning and go, oh my God, that was great. I want to do it again. And I want to do it again. I want to do it again. And so uh, it's sexual sadism. So not so. antisocial is rare. Sadistic personality, personality disorder is even rarer. And sexual sadism disorder is a part of sadistic personality disorder. So Anyway, pretty dark stuff, isn't it? Let's read some quotes to close out this long-ass episode. Let's read some quotes. Uh, I think it's from the TV show. Ramsey, he is talking to Reek here, and he says, Strip off their skins. Lord Bolton, he used to say, A naked man has few secrets, but a flayed man has none. (laughs) So he's talking about his dad here, and he's... He's saying, my dad used to say that a naked man has few secrets, but a flayed man has no secrets. <laughs> so that's pretty brutal there. All right. Ramsey is now talking to Theon Greyjoy in this quote, and he says, Ramsey Snow, my wife called me this before she ate her fingers, but I say Bolton. So, you know, there's that one. And as he, as Ramsey is sacking Winterfell, remember he he decide when you know he uh, takes out Sir Roderick, and then Theon lets him into Winterfell, and then he suddenly turns on Theon. He says, "Save me the phrase and burn the rest. Burn it, burn it all." He burns down Winterfell. Here's Ramsey Bolton talking to Theon again. If you think this has a happy ending. You haven't been paying much attention. <laughs> Such a great line. If you think this is going to have a happy ending, then you haven't been paying very much attention. Okay, again, Ramsey saying to Theon as he flays his, his right pinky, this isn't happening to you for a reason. Well, one reason, I enjoy it. So this really plays into his sadistic personality. This isn't happening to you for a reason. Well, one reason, I enjoy it. So, that sadistic fucker. Okay, here's a conversation between Theon. A lot of conversations between Theon and Ramsay. Theon, Greyjoy, he says, please, mercy, mercy. And then Ramsay says, this is mercy. I'm not killing you. Just making a few alterations. (laughs) He cuts off his finger in his in his dong here's when uh, Ramsey is is talking to Theon after he cuts off his dong Ramsey talking people talk about phantom limbs an amputee might have an itch where his foot used to be so I've always wondered do eunuchs have a phantom cock the next time you think about naked girls will you feel an itch sorry I shouldn't make jokes My mother taught me not to throw stones at cripples, but my father taught me aim for their head. (laughs) 
Oh, I don't know why I'm laughing. It's so awful. Maybe that's why I like the show and others too. It's just like, it's just, I don't know. There's something comical about a, a sadist, I suppose. All right. Here's again, uh, Ramsey talking when he is flaying a, a, a man, someone that he's flaying, I think alive. Did you know my ancestors wore the skins of their enemies as a coat? So he's educating this man about the history of his house as he flays him by pointing out that his ancestors used to wear the skin of their enemies. All right, here's another one. Ramsey is saying, and if it's a boy, he's talking to his father. You know, if what if your wife, your new wife has a boy? And Roos Bolton says, you're worried about your position. Ramsey says, my position is quite clear. I'm your son until a better alternative comes along. So here Ramsey is highlighting the fact that his father will discard him if, if uh, Roos has a son with, uh, with the Frey woman. But everyone knows that Ramsey would just kill the child if it was a boy, so it doesn't matter. Ramsey is now talking to Reek as Ramsey forces himself onto Sansa in the TV show. So he's raping Sansa at this point, and he is talking to Theon, and he says, You've known Sansa since she was a young girl. Now watch her become a woman. Boy, that's pretty dark there. All right, here is Ramsey and Sansa talking. Ramsey says, I'm Lord Bolton's eldest eldest son, Sansa says, but you're a bastard. A trueborn will always have the stronger claim. Ramsay says, I've been naturalized by a royal decree from... Dot, 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 Sansa interrupts and says, Tommen Baratheon, another bastard? So, touche, Sansa, you got him on that one. Good for you. Here's Roos Bolton talking to Ramsay. He says, his father, Power tastes best when sweetened by courtesy. You had best learn that if you ever hope to rule. Again, Bruce is telling his son, look, dude, you got to be courteous because that's when power really works out the best. So cool your jets on the flaying of the, your, you know, cool your jets on the raping and the flaying. If we're going to rule, stop it. All right, here's Rob Stark talking to Lothar Frey about Ramsey. And he says, This Ramsey was a monster and a murderer, and he died a coward, or so I was told. And again, remember that Rob Stark was told that Ramsey had died, but in fact, he had not died by Roderick's hand. He, uh, Roderick had killed Reek, who just looked and dressed like Ramsey. Here's a great quote from Bruce. He's talking to Reek slash Theon, I think. So Bruce Bolton, this is so this is Ramsey's father talking to someone about Ramsey, and he says, His blood is bad. He needs to be leached. The leeches suck away the bad blood, all the rage and the pain. No man can think so full of anger. Ramsey, though, his tainted blood would poison even leeches, I fear. <laughs> so so his own father recognizes that there's something wrong with that boy. Okay, here's Theon talking. 
I will kill that man. We're talking about Ramsey. Theon is saying, I will kill that man. I swear to the drowned god, to the old gods, the new gods, to every fucking god and fuck every fucking heaven. I will kill that man. <laughs> um, actually, I should, I should mention that the first George R. R. Martin you know, story I read was something that was written. I think it was written before, before Game of Thrones. He wrote a short story that was printed in, I think it was Dragon Magazine. For you nerds out there, there's a magazine for Dungeons and Dragon lovers called Dragon Magazine. And a, I've, I had a subscription to that magazine because, again, super nerd here. And I think George R. R. Martin had written this story, short story for it, and it was about the Ironborn. And it was about the drowned gods. And it was really interesting because these priests uh, of the drowned god were initiating their their new young priests into the into the church. And the way that they did that was they had this ceremony and they would go into the sea. They would wade into the sea and the new recruits would submerge themselves in water. So it's sort of like a baptism. And they would purposely drown themselves until their heart stopped. And then the other priests would pull them out of the water and give them CPR, essentially. And if they were revived, then they were born again, essentially, and they became priests for the drowned god. But if they just died, then it meant that they weren't worthy or something. (laughs) And the way George Martin right it was just an extremely compelling short story and i didn't usually like to read the short stories in dragon but this one i remember it really stuck out to me okay let's just read a couple more quotes here this is Bruce bolton talking to ramsey i place far too much trust in you end quote here's cersei lannister vowing to have Bruce and ramsey flayed after learning they have they have in their possession Sansa Stark. So it's interesting that Cersei is uh, sort of sticking up for Sansa. So Cersei says to someone, she says, I will skin him and his bastard like the wretch of their bloody sigil. Like, like that wretch on their bloody sigil. Sorry. I will skin him and his bastard like that wretch on their bloody sigil. So that's interesting. I wonder if that's foretelling what will happen to Roos and Ramsay. Will Cersei exact revenge for us? They seem to be kind of setting up in the story the possibility for us to like Cersei because she's been suffering so much. You know that scene where she walks through town naked and everyone's throwing crap at her? Like it's, It's a good story device to make us sympathize with her to some extent. Although I don't, I don't know, Cersei, I mean, Cersei, you can have some, some love for, um, maybe she'll come around, you know, like Jamie did, but anyway, I'm off track here anyway. So what's the final word I can say about Ramsey Bolton? The final thing I'll say is that as a, as a character, again, I realized he's much more complex than I originally thought. There are definitely reasons as to, or things you can point to in his history as to why he 
developed antisocial personality disorder and sadistic personality disorder. But it is somewhat of a mystery. If, if, if I were, if he were my client or someone I was assessing and I was to just hypothesize as to the main factors, I would say they are thus. That genetics played a role that the in utero experience of his development played a role in damaging his his nervous system development. That his early childhood attachment, uh, when compounded with his genetic predisposition for antisocial, set the uh, the ball rolling in a sense to have him never develop a compassion and empathy for other human beings. And by the time Reek came along, he already had the beginnings of antisocial personality disorder and sadism. And Reek just became a convenient target for that when, when Ramsey was a teenager. That, that would be my sense because there are many people that have similar histories in their childhood. There are many people who suffer from abuse who have mothers who were raped and who were suffering from mental illness as they were raising their children. There, there are many children that grow up in that circumstance but do not develop antisocial. So there seems to be emerging evidence that you, to some extent, need to have a, a biological disposition, whether that's running in your family, because clearly Roos has antisocial traits, if not full-blown disorder, and so there seem to be some genetic roots in this, but also there just can be random genetic realities that occur when a fetus is formed that can, in all likelihood, create the disposition for personality disorders such as this. And so that that would be my hypothesis, that genetics meets uh, a mother who is who is suffering and God knows what her parenting style was like. You put those two things together and you get a Ramsey. And if you did it a hundred other times, you wouldn't have got a Ramsey. But in this instance, the, the roll of the dice created a Ramsey. And so we now have a wonderful character to hate on the TV show Game of Thrones and in the books, uh, the book series, uh, A Tale of Ice and Fire, Song of Ice, Song of Ice and Fire. <laughs> It's a terrible name. <laughs> anyway. All right. Well, that does it for another episode. Let me know what you think. You can email me at contact at psychologyinseattle.com. Let me know what you think of this. And boy, I can't wait for season six. People have been watching the preview or the yeah, the trailers for season six and they're very skeptical. I remember that one trailer with all the masks on the wall. Everyone was getting angry about that one. But I have faith. Mostly because even if the season isn't very good, I just love this story so much. I'm, I'm, and I'm, and they have been consistently well produced and well written. That uh, I'm positive I'm going to like it. Now I, I'm guessing as we move forward, there's going to be a fair amount of people that will start dropping off because they liked the show kind of, but they weren't as much of a fan as I am, and so uh, that's my prediction. I, I predict that season six we're going to see a lot of people starting to turn away from the series. That's just, that's just a guess. And I really hope that the story stays well written and the plot is, is good. Uh, 
Uh, I'm really curious what they decide to do with the story because I'm pretty sure Martin was saying that he w- wanted to finish this series in seven books, which would imply there would be you know only two or three more seasons, TV seasons left. It's sort of weird because um, the TV series is going to come out before the books do. But at the same time, uh, the the books are are quite a different experience than the TV show. So when the TV show is done and the next couple books come out over the next 10 years, because it takes them forever to write these things, I'll still read the books because the books just have not only just is it so much more interesting to read the books, but there's a lot of side plots that don't even get included in the TV show. So anyway, let me know what you think. Contact at psychologyinseattle.com and... Uh, If you're a patron, please tell other people about the podcast. And if you're not, then please become a patron of the podcast because when more people become patrons, I can dedicate more time to doing episodes like this. It took me a long time to prep this episode, I'm going to tell you. Uh, As you can tell, I had all these quotes and da-da-da, and it takes a long time. And so if you want other episodes like this, please become a patron by going to patreon.com. All right, well, that does it for this episode. Thanks for joining me. Please take care of yourself and take care of other people and avoid the Ramseys of the world. And if you're a Ramsey, get treatment so that you can be a better citizen of this society because you deserve that.